Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Draft Friend Show. I am Todd Dandruff with Tellus, and today is November twelfth, two thousand and fifteen. We're starting right around eight o'clock sharp, when we should have started at well, I hate to admit it, but uh, seven thirty. So we're starting half an hour late. I actually got a message on Poker Fraud Alert that really made me sad. A guy saying, "I'm trying to listen live for the first time ever." And I can't seem to get anything to work. I can't get my Android to work or my laptop. Nothing works. Why can't I hear the show? (laughs) And the sad answer to that was I hadn't started yet and was half an hour late. So for future reference, you can always check my Twitter at Todd Wittellis. And if you don't see, or at Poker Fraudler, either one, if you don't see notification that the show has started, then, well, it probably hasn't started because I always tweet out when the show's about to start. I'm not making excuses here. I should have been on time, but I just wasn't. Anyway, welcome. And again, I have no co-host tonight. You never know who will show up, but right now there is no co-host. And uh, I'll tell you about the free roll first, because that's starting in 10 minutes. But uh, then I will have a frank discussion with all of you regarding the day of the show. Because it's currently Thursday. I'm not sure if it's going to stay on Thursday. So, the free roll this week is $65. It takes place on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You can find that 
near the top of PokerFraudAlert.com, you need a separate account to get in there. But it's totally free, and you don't even need play chips to enter the free roll. And this free roll is for real money this week. It is $65. And this money came from several sources. I will list them in a second. I'm sorry if I seem a bit distracted, but there's someone who's messaging me that I wanted to send a quick message back to. So here are the five people who generously donated to this free roll. Matt the Rat gave $10. I've met him a number of times in Vegas. He's from Canada. Nice guy. A guy calling himself Some User, that is his screen name, Some User, gave $25. Paige L. Poker from Milwaukee, I know he's a big Bucks fan, gave $10. A listener named Brian, who wants to qualify for the free roll, gave $10. So thank you, Brian. He doesn't have an account on the forum, to my knowledge. And... Beer and Poker, a longtime listener and forum member, gave $8. So thank you to you guys for the $63. And this will break down as follows. Now, Beer and Poker wanted all his money to go towards first. So first is a little bit lopsided this week. First place will be $33, which is more than half the pool. Second will be $15. Third, 9 And fourth will be 6 33 15 9 and 6 It starts at 8.10 p.m. at the No Fraud Online Poker Room. Before you play, if you haven't done this already in previous weeks, please go read the rules of the free roll to see if you qualify. You can go to PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll to read the rules. That's PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. All lowercase, exactly as it sounds. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll. Ignorance of the rules is no excuse. So if you don't get the free money because you didn't know the rules, my answer will be tough luck. That really will be my answer. If you want to call into the show, the phone numbers are the same as always. 775-FRAUD55 is the main phone number. 775-372-8355 is how that breaks down. You can also text that number at any time, before, after, or during the show. I may read your texts on the air, so please state at the beginning of your text if you don't want me to read it. And... There's also the Mount Charleston line. What is the Mount Charleston line? The Mount Charleston line is an old 70s rotary telephone which sits on top of Mount Charleston, which is a mountain near Las Vegas. And that number forwards to me wherever I am. That phone number is 702-430-1808. It's 702-430-1808. I'm going to go visit the Mount Charleston phone in not too long. I may even take a picture of myself with the Mount Charleston phone so you guys can all see what it looks like. That's 702-430-1808. And starting this month, November, it's been going for a little bit of time. It's been successful. It has been useful. That is the call-to-listen phone number. The call-to-listen phone number is not a call-in number. That is, you can't reach me by calling that number, but you can hear me by calling that number. This is a way to listen without a smartphone, without an internet connection, without anything except for a phone that can dial. In fact, even if you have your grandma's old 70s rotary telephone, just like I have in Mount Charleston, you can listen to the show. You just call this number and listen. 712 
712-775-8162. Once again, 712-775-8162. If you forget that number, just go to the radio page on Poker Fraud Alert. Just go to Poker Fraud Alert and click on radio, and that number will be prominently up there. 712-775-8162 is the call-to-listen line. New thing for Poker Fraud Alert. Also, if you're ever bored and you just want to hear a random Poker Fraud Alert radio show from 2012, 13, 14, or 15 running, you can. You can hear live streaming reruns by either going to the radio page when the show is not on the air or by calling the call to listen number. Either one will play a random rerun from the past. You'll probably join it in the middle of the show, but it's something you can do without effort. You just kind of want to hear a random show at a random point. You can do that and listen as long as you want. It runs 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The only time it goes down is when I do this live broadcast. So those are two new features which started last week. And we've gotten some good feedback on those. Free roll is starting in three minutes, but there are 25 minutes of late registration, so don't panic if you're not in there yet. The prizes, I told you the prizes. Okay. So let's talk about the day of the show. Right now the show is broadcasting on Thursday night. Thursday night is more convenient for me than Tuesday night. It really is. But I've noticed that our ratings are better on Tuesday. Tuesday simply gets more listeners. Tuesday seems to be better for people. Whatever the reason, a lot of people just don't really like the show being on Thursday. I've gotten some negative feedback about the show being on Thursday and not very much positive. Now, the positive of moving to Thursday was that Brandon was going to be here every week. The reason we moved to Thursday was that his girlfriend was going to be working on Thursday nights so he would have time to do the show. And that's what he said, and I I can't say I was expecting it, because number one, there's no expectation that Brandon goes on the show. He doesn't get paid. He just does it if he feels like it. If he doesn't feel like it, he doesn't. So it's always like a bonus to have him here, and the show is always much better with him. I love when he's here. But he hasn't been here for the last several weeks, and... I'm starting to think that the move to Thursday was, well, to put it bluntly, a failure. So I think we may go back to Tuesday. I think we may have to go back to Tuesday. I have not decided yet, but I'm considering it. Please check the Poker Fraud Alert Twitter that's at Poker Fraud Alert or the Poker Fraud Alert Forum for news if we go back to Tuesday. Now, here are some texts I received. This is from the 614 area code. When's the show? And then the person finally noticed it started near 8 o'clock and wrote, please try to be on time going forward. Otherwise, and yes, this contains a threat, I won't listen. (laughs) Well, it's up to you. Uh, I understand it's annoying not knowing exactly when it's going to start, but nobody's paying me to do this. I'm not making any money doing this. In fact, I'm losing money. So if I was working for someone or if sponsors were counting on me being on time, blah, 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 you know, I'd have to do it. But this is a hobby. That's really what it is. So 
I apologize if I'm not on time and I'll make an effort to do a bit better. But if you don't want to listen because I'm late, uh, there is one other option. You can listen in the archives and then you can listen whenever you want and there's no lateness. From the 205, I see I got actually a transcribed voicemail. (laughs) I got some really cool news, man. This is from Raw Wolf. I was trying to call in. It was going straight to voicemail, but then this picked up after five or six rings, so I'll try and get it in about two minutes. If you can't take the call, thanks. Peace. Hmm. Uh, this is from the 510 area, which I think is near Oakland. Hey, Druffman, trying to register your form and haven't received the confirmation or whatever. I'm probably one of your only black listeners. Well, we have a few of them, actually. There's a, I know there's a black guy in Las Vegas who listens to this show. Unless you're him, but I don't think you're him. Finally deciding to try to listen to the live show, as I usually listen to the archives at work, and he tried to spell that out. <laughs> I wanted to play the tournament while I listened, and as proof that I listened for the past couple shows, you've been talking about that douchebag Dwight Pilgrim. I'm kind of skeptical about your feelings towards us. Because you made sure to remind your listeners he's black before reading his ignorant text. All races have their bad apples next time. Just refer to him as a fucking honorous, honorless-ass clown. Thanks. By the way, I don't think you're racist. You know, the only reason I mentioned he was black was just to kind of put into context, like when you're picturing the guy, if you don't know who he is, to kind of put that into context when you hear his text, to kind of picture him as the stereotypical ignorant black guy. And yes, there are also... Stereotypical ignorant white guys, for sure. So I, I wasn't trying to bash black people there. I was just, uh, just trying to make the audience understand uh, everything about who he was. 614 telling me he's just playing. He's not really going to stop listening. That's good. So the 702, this person trolling about Brandon. Do you really want a co-host who admits to staking people to play roulette? Well, he was doing something nice, actually. He was doing something nice so this guy who was playing roulette could run up points on his MGM card and get a better status at the property. That was a nice thing Brandon did. So, yes, I do want, to, I, I do want that co-host. I don't think Brandon was ever indicating that he felt that was a positive expectation move money-wise. All right, let's see. From the 561 area, back at about 6.50 p.m., I think your site is under a denial of service attack, won't open. Well, if someone did that, then they weren't very accurate with the time because if they you want a denial of service attack this site, the best time to do it, honestly, is about 8 o'clock Pacific. <laughs> no, I don't laugh. That's really the time to do it because that's when the radio show for sure will have started by then. And that's when there's like the maximum number of listeners. You don't want to do it at 6.50. Nobody's listening at 6.50. That's like 40 minutes before the show starts. So like everybody is out doing other things, getting ready for the show. So that was kind of bad timing if you were DOSing the site. But the site does run little tasks in the background sometimes. So that's why it freezes up occasionally. But for the most part, it's a pretty reliable site. From the 870 area, hey, Druff, curious on your thoughts on Alex Donatio situation and what poker stars might or should do to him. It can be found on the first page of News, Views, and Gossip of 2 Plus 2. Thanks for the 24-7 live feature. Love that. Huh, let's see. I'm glad that person likes that. 
Uh, I don't have any feelings on that because I don't know about it. I probably this is like the one day I forgot to read two plus two by, before this show. I, I did everything else. See, when I prepare for this show, I make sure to read all the reputable and semi-reputable news sources for poker and gambling news, so I'm up on stuff to talk about. But today, I knew I was forgetting something, and what I was forgetting was to read 2 plus 2, <laughs> which shows you how much I otherwise read it these days. They, I really lost my enthusiasm for reading it once they banned me there, because, number one, it's not that great in the first place. You have to sift through a lot of garbage to get to anything good on the forums, and... I hate reading things and then I cannot respond. I don't have a fake account there. You may think I have a fake account. I do not. Since I got banned there for no good reason, I just don't have an account on 2 plus 2, and that's the way it is. So it was their loss, really, because I was contributing a lot of good content over there. I was making a lot of good posts. I was never posting crap. I was trying to make thoughtful contributions to every thread I participated in. And... Mason Malmuth, the child, banned me. So, oh well. Not for anything I did on there, of course. He, Mason always seems to ban me for things I don't do on 2 Plus 2. I'm not even kidding. Every ban I've ever had on 2 Plus 2 has been for things that I've done elsewhere outside of 2 Plus 2 that Mason has not liked. That shows you how petty this guy is. And I've never done anything to him personally, so it's not like I'm harassing him in real life and he's banning me. That would be justified. I've never had any kind of in-person interaction with Mason other than sitting with him at the poker table and we just like don't even speak to each other. So like I really there's never been any kind of in-person issues with him and I've never harassed him online or anything like nothing. So he's just taken things he doesn't like about me on my site or things I've done elsewhere. And when I say things I've done, I don't mean bad things I've done, I mean just things he doesn't like and and bans me. <laughs> Of course, I'm one of many, many, many people that Mason has unfairly banned. So, whatever. He's just lucky he has 2 plus 2. He was really in the right place at the right time. This is not someone who succeeded based upon innovation or talent. This is someone who succeeded based upon luck and starting something at the exact right moment. Though we do have the host of the 2 plus 2 PokerCast, or one of the two hosts, Adam Schwartz, who listens to this show. And I appreciate that. I appreciate that, even though Adam stole the sound effect. He did. I I was listening to the 2 Plus 2 Poker Cast last week, and around, I think, the 55-minute mark, they were talking about, I don't even remember the subject anymore, but they, they brought up a certain subject, and then they went... And immediately, Adam says, oh, I know who's going to be mad at that one. I know who's going to be pissed that we stole a sound effect. And then I was named. But it was fine because he mentioned Poker Fraud Alert. So, you know, anytime we can be mentioned in any way and maybe get some of their listeners to also listen to this show, that's good. It's actually not my sound effect, as Adam actually noticed or noted on the 2 Plus 2 Poker Cast. It's just a generic sound effect. But I've used it so many times that... I almost feel like it's mine. I feel like I've adopted it. The fact that when Adam heard it, I think someone else like running the show played it. But when he heard it, the first thought he had was me. So that kind of validates my feelings that it's kind of mine at this point. Lou Father saying make it Wednesday. Yeah, that's 
not a bad idea. I talked about that, too. The reason we didn't do Wednesday was because we didn't want to compete with my former show on Donkdown, but that's been long gone. So maybe I should go back to Wednesday. Let me take a look at the chat room here. Uh, LOL Poker Gossips. That's from Hoser11. Blubber Nuffle says, reading 2 plus 2 is much like dumpster diving reading. It, it is. And the reason it really is that is because when you're dumpster diving, you're going through a lot of garbage and trying to find something valuable. And that's exactly what 2 plus 2 is like. The posters on 2 plus 2 in general are terrible. They're terrible. They think they're funny and they're not. They think they're creative and they're not. They think they're insightful and they're not. Uh, it's, it's really a lot of immature and banal trolls but not even like interesting or funny trolls. These are like ones that are painful to read or people who just ramble about a lot of nonsense. We have some of that on the Poker Fraud Alert forum, but like you'll have a two plus two thread of 100 pages and like 97 of those 100 pages are crap. And whenever they're like 100 pages, it's usually about a subject that's interesting in itself. So you have to go through those 100 pages to find interesting stuff. And you don't want to miss the interesting stuff, but you've got to go through like 97 pages of crap. It's so tough to do. And I will at least say on Poker Fraud Alert, when we have the rare thread that exceeds 100 pages or exceeds 50 pages, like most of that is very good. Like you look at the Brian Mikon Seals with Clubs thread. And most of it is a good threat. Most of it's very thoughtful and insightful with a lot of intelligent commentary and discussion. Very little crap in that thread, and yet it's like 138 pages. You have 138 pages on 2 plus 2, almost nothing's going to be readable there. So that's why I don't read the site that often. They are the biggest site as far as poker forums go. That's where most people go when they have an a grievance to air and it makes sense because you get the biggest audience over there but oh boy is it tough I know there's a lot of trolling on the poker fraud alert forum I know it's not the easiest place to participate in without getting slammed in some way but at least it's a lot more readable than 2 plus 2 alright so uh, yeah I haven't decided on when to do the show yet from the 505 area, this text saying, yo, what's up? It's the black guy in Vegas with a New Mexico area code. Are you going to talk about Lauren Kling's hairy asshole that I would absolutely eat? <laughs> that guy's called in before. See, we've, we have two black listeners texting me tonight. That's good. It's getting to be a diverse audience here. Yeah, we need more women. We probably need more gays. I think we even need more Asians. We don't have many Asian listeners either. Even though there's a lot of Asian poker players, I don't think we have many Asian listeners, except for TMMLK, who may or may not be Asian. I think he is. But we really should have more, given how many Asians are in poker. I don't think we have many Hispanic listeners either. I, I know we have a few, but not that many. We We, we really seem to be overrun with white guys between 30 and 55. If you have a product to sell that would appeal to white guys between 30 and 55, you should advertise on this show because that's who I reach. I guess it makes sense. I'm a white guy between 30 and 55, like right in between there. 
Anchor Draw saying Asians are too busy gambling to listen to this. That might be true. All right, here's the agenda tonight. Usually I try to get past the intro stuff faster, but here's the agenda. Daily Fantasy Sports, which has been under fire ever since a mid-level manager named Ethan Haskell accidentally revealed in a roundabout way that he has access to player information and lineups that have been submitted before the lineups are locked, meaning he can change his lineups after seeing what other people have done. Uh, That's caused a big scandal in the daily fantasy sports industry. It's been banned in Nevada. The government is looking into what action to take regarding daily fantasy sports. Even came up in the Republican presidential debate. And the most recent development, daily fantasy sports has been banned in New York. Which is pretty bad because that's actually most, or not their mo- the most, but uh, it's their most frequent state that they have players from. 10% of all players on daily fantasy sports sites are from New York. Even though the state of New York does not have anywhere near 10% of the country's population. The only state that can say that is California. So even though New York has fewer people by a wide margin than California, they have more daily fantasy sports players, so their best state now has been banned from playing on there, from DraftKings, from FanDuel, or any other daily fantasy sports site that wants to offer games to New York. What about regulating daily fantasy sports? Well, Florida, rather than outright banning it, is trying to make motions to regulate it, which I think is the best plan going forward. Amaya, the owner of PokerStars and the owner of Full Tilt now, has a stock. They're publicly traded. The stock of Amaya crashed upon a bad earnings estimate And they gave a reason for why the bad earnings estimate came out and why they were surprised by what they're going to actually earn in 2015. So I will tell you what that reason is. I will tell you what happened to the stock. And I will give you my opinion as to whether they are telling the truth about the reason the earnings were less than expected. The World Series of Poker final table... The main event took place this past week. Joe McKeon came in as the chip leader. He was the overwhelming chip leader coming in. He stayed the overwhelming chip leader the entire way. No one else even came close. He dominated. This is probably the most dominating World Series of Poker final table ever. So McKeon easily winning through a combination of good play and running really, really well. Bitcoin, remember I mentioned last week that it popped up to 500 and then had a crash to around 400? Well, surprise, surprise, it crashed again. Where will it stabilize? We will discuss that. A Las Vegas so-called betting expert, I love these guys, they always claim that they can give you these winning sports picks, yet somehow they're not just making these bets themselves and cleaning up. But a Vegas, quote, betting expert has been sentenced for an illegal gambling operation. What a shock. 
tell you about that. Right now, you can only sports bet in one place in North America, and that is Nevada. That's the only place in North America you can sports bet. You can't do it anywhere else legally in the United States. You can't do it in Canada. You can't do it in Mexico. But this might change. Sports betting might come to Canada. I'll tell you a bit about that. And we have some Canadian listeners, so that might be of some interest to them. General topics for the night. A cringeworthy situation at the University of Missouri. You may have seen the videos. There was a protest and the media was not allowed to cover the protest in a public place. They held a protest in a public place and they told the media, get out, you can't be here. You can't cover our public protest in a public place. Media, go away. This is our safe space. You're not allowed. (laughs) Now, you might think, okay, well, dumb college students do dumb things, but The dumbest things were done not by college students, but by a faculty and administrator at the university. So I'll talk about that and talk about how ridiculous the whole thing is from start to finish. I've talked about politics on this show. I'm going to continue to do that. This will be the final topic of the night unless something else comes up. I think the Republicans have a clear and legitimate path to victory If they are smart enough to follow it, I'm not saying they will definitely win if they follow it. I said that I have figured out the most likely way for them to win and that they need to do this if they want to have a chance. And if they don't, I think they're going to lose. But if they do, then they may very well beat Hillary. I will tell you what that path to victory will be. I did some analysis of this over the past week, and I will discuss that on this show. But before we get on to the normal topics of the show, the ones I just listed, I want to tell you about something else that has happened that was very sad. Something that was a story I just didn't want to have to read. This year, I'm really going to kick that football. Why am I playing Charlie Brown? Well, I watched these Charlie Brown cartoons. These were very exciting when I saw they were going to come on. I loved these as a kid. Uh, For those of you who are younger, you may not know that we didn't have hundreds of channels to choose from back in the 1970s. There were very few channels you could watch, and there was no such thing as Nickelodeon or other kids programming at night so if you wanted to see any cartoons or kids programming you would have to watch during the day but occasionally there would be a special a special on CBS which would be a Charlie Brown animated cartoon and I love those when I saw those were coming on I was just ecstatic as a kid and let's turn off this This is what I would hear when they were going to preempt the show that was going to be on, the normal show for the prime time on CBS, and we're going to put on a Charlie Brown cartoon. This is what I would hear. 
And if you're around my age, you remember that. You remember that before Charlie Brown would come on. You know, some other adult-themed TV show would be on at that time normally. But you would hear that Charlie Brown's going to be on at 8 o'clock that night, and you'd sit down, and instead of the adult show starting, whatever it would be, you'd hear... So I, I love that. And I watched every single one of those Charlie Brown cartoons. So I was disappointed to hear about this story. That the voice of Charlie Brown has been arrested. And uh, even more disturbing is that the guy who did the voice of Charlie Brown, who's now 59 years old, he actually has a dog named Snoopy. (laughs) But uh, Peter Robbins, who did the voice of Charlie Brown... Uh, he, he cursed at the judge and, uh, this happened in June and I'll give you an update after this. There's two parts of this story. Here's the June part of the story and then I'll tell you the current thing. So listen to, uh, Peter Robbins, the voice of Charlie Brown in the sixties and seventies curse at the judge from TMZ. Carnesaur, great minds in your life, I'm inclined to, and I do agree with you. Great minds? What, are you calling him a great mind? Come he's a public defender. Einstein is a great mind, sir. Thank you. I would take that as a compliment because Mr. Carnesaur is one of the best public defenders in this courthouse. He's not connected, though. He's no mob ties. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so, Charlie Brown here is criticizing in June his public defender for not being a good public defender because he has no mob ties. <laughs> I guess I guess he was hoping that not only would he get a good attorney, but he would have someone who's uh, connected with the mob who maybe could pull some strings to get him off or threaten the judge. I don't know what he's hoping for. Or will uh, uh, suspend Where are the mob ties? Yeah. I think the only public defender does have mob ties. I'm firing him. I'm firing him. I okay. 9 a.m. from a 25. This is actually in court. And uh, that's a long time. Made. Can't we do this sooner? The order's been made. Defendant Mr. Robbins uh, remanded without bail. That's the same situation. Yeah, remanded without bail. Uh, another 124 days, huh? Just stick me in jail for 124 days. Do you have a conscience? Do you? I have not committed any crime. I'm telling you, I'm revoking you. Wow, this, I can't believe that he hasn't been held in contempt yet. This judge is really taking a lot of crap. You revoke my probation, I revoke my criminal threat. I never criminally threatened this woman. In order for it to be a criminal threat to she has to believe that I would kill her. I wouldn't kill her. I have never had any violent behavior. That is not a criminal threat. You, I want a new trial. Thank you, Mr. Good luck to you, sir. Good luck to you. I hope you drop dead of a heart attack. You stupid He's rubbing me up. He's got a gun. Run for your lives. He has a gun. Run for your lives. 
Jeez. That was Charlie Brown. I'm not even kidding. That was really Charlie Brown. All right, so that was what happened in June. Why was he in court in June? Well, in 2013, he was convicted for threatening his ex-girlfriend and her plastic surgeon. Uh, but in in court, he went crazy and screamed, she has to believe that I would kill her. I wouldn't kill her. I'd, I never have had any violent behavior. And then he said to the judge, good luck to you. I hope you dropped out of a heart attack. So he was in court over that uh, 2013 matter. And he also violated probation by cutting off his ankle monitor and drinking, which he was not supposed to do. So that was in June, but it got worse. In or should I say more recently, this article just came out today. Peter Robbins pleaded guilty to making criminal threats, including threatening to hire a hitman to kill the San Diego County Sheriff. So I guess he really did want someone connected to the mob. He wanted to hire a hitman to kill the San Diego County Sheriff. Or at least that's what he was threatening. According to prosecutors, Robin sent threatening letters to the manager of the mobile home park where he lived. And he also sent, um, he also offered money, I don't know to whom, uh, to have Sheriff Bill Gore killed. He faces four years and eight months in prison. He actually pled guilty. So now he's going to be sentenced and... uh, I guess that was part of the plea agreement. So he's going to go away for a while. There won't be any more Charlie Brown voicing for him. I guess it was from his jail cell. He wrote letters offering to pay $50,000 to kill the sheriff. <laughs> but I, I still don't know who he was trying to get to do that. He was living only with his dog, Snoopy. And I guess he also uh, he has a... Charlie Brown and Snoopy tattoo and what happened was he lost his Charlie Brown job at the age of 16 when they hired younger actors to do the voice of Charlie Brown probably because his voice changed so he's he's hit on hard times for the last 43 years I guess he was 16 in 1972 which is actually when I was born so any Charlie Brown special up till 72 he did this includes a Charlie Brown Christmas, It's a Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown, and You're in Love Charlie Brown. So he went from being really shy around the little redhead girl to threatening to kill the little redheaded girl. Ah, sad how these things change. That's what's happened to Charlie Brown. That's really weird. Like, think, think back to those old Charlie Brown cartoons like It's a Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Think about that. Think about the voice you heard of Charlie Brown. And think of the voice I just played you. <laughs> think about it. Think about this voice. I'm the only public defender does that monetize. I'm firing him. I'm firing him. 
That's the same guy as Charlie Brown from It's a Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. That's crazy. So, um, well, I, I know I spent too long in this Charlie Brown story, but I just wanted to play you one more thing. Apparently, uh, his parents are still alive, and it's always interesting to get the perspective from the parents of a child actor, a formal tr- child actor, and see where they went wrong. So this is what uh, Charlie Brown's mom had to say about uh, his recent legal troubles. <laughs> Okay. Now time for the real show. Let's talk about daily fantasy sports in New York. People in the chat room get so testy about this. They just like want me to get into the poker stuff. They get irritated. Like the, this stuff is at the end of the show. People love it. But I do at the beginning. Like everybody flips out. Daily Fantasy Sports has been very, very, very much under fire recently. They've had a lot of problems. I've never seen it where one person, the inadvertent actions of one person, send everything crashing down like what has happened here. Ethan Haskell was a mid-level manager at DraftKings, which is the largest daily fantasy sports site. He posted on a company blog the ownership percentages of each NFL player. What was notable about that was that he did this before the lineups were locked, meaning that anyone who read that could have changed their lineups at that point if they read this and saw that the players they owned were too much owned by other people. But the big problem here was that it exposed the fact that even mid-level managers somehow have access to all of that data. Then it came out that Ethan Haskell had cashed more than $2 million on the rival site FanDuel and that an analysis of FanDuel and DraftKings showed that basically they had pretty much the same stats for players that were owned on each site, meaning if you could see the stats on DraftKings, you could give yourself a huge edge on FanDuel, assuming that things would be pretty much the same over there. So Ethan Haskell and other employees of DraftKings did very well playing on FanDuel, and then you had some FanDuel employees who did very well playing on DraftKings. So definitely it was cheating. It was likened to insider trading, and this kicked off a huge firestorm of controversy. Since then, the state of Nevada has made daily fantasy sports illegal. They've declared it illegal gambling without a license and banned them from there. The FBI is investigating. The U.S. Attorney's Office is investigating. There's a lot of trouble. A lot of trouble for fantasy sports when before this, everything was rolling around, rolling along smoothly. Now, there were some controversies, such as certain players having unfair advantages using automated programs that would allow them to change their lineup super quickly and enter like thousands of contests at once. But it was only diehards of daily fantasy sports that were discussing these things. It was not in the mainstream media at all. Now it's so much in the mainstream media that it became a topic of a Republican presidential debate, as I've mentioned previously on the show. So 
Nevada is one thing. Nevada does not have a large population. DraftKings and FanDuel did not want to lose Nevada, but they already had a few states they couldn't serve customers in. So Nevada being one of the smaller states of the union is not that big of a deal. But there is one state that they definitely did not want to lose, and that was New York. New York sent them the most players of any other state, more than California, more than Texas, more than everyone. About 10% of daily fantasy sports players are from New York. Well, this is what happened this week. New York State Attorney General, and again, this is not having to do with the U.S. Attorney's Office. This is not the Department of Justice. This is on the state level. New York State Attorney General Eric T. Schneiderman has issued an order directing daily fantasy sports market leaders DraftKings and FanDuel to cease offering their services to New York residents. Now, Schneiderman had previously announced that he was going to be conducting an investigation into these companies, but he just declared them as illegal gambling and said that they cannot operate any further under New York state law. This is what he said. It is clear that DraftKings and FanDuel are the leaders of a massive multi-billion dollar scheme intended to evade the law and fleece sports fans across the country. That's pretty strong language. Evade the law and fleece sports fans across the country. So he's, he's not just saying that they're operating illegally. He's saying that they're cheating people. Today we have sent a clear message. Not in New York and not on my watch. Now some people freaked out about this and they were saying that this is just more prohibition from the government. When's it going to stop? First, they stop us from playing online poker. Now they're stopping us from playing daily fantasy sports. When's it going to end, government? When are you going to stop running our lives? But that's not what this is really about. You have to read between the lines on this one. Once again, he said, It is clear that DraftKings and FanDuel are the leaders of a massive multi-billion dollar scheme. Scheme, he called it. Intended to evade the law and fleece, means cheat, sports fans across the country. Now, if it were being run honestly and legitimately, he wouldn't use those terms. He would say, we're not allowing illegal, unlicensed gambling in the state of New York. That's what he would say. He would say they're breaking the law. He wouldn't say that they are running a multi-billion dollar scheme and that it's intending to fleece sports fans across the country. So basically what Schneiderman's doing here is he knows that daily fantasy sports is really shady. He doesn't like the way the industry is running itself. He thinks people are being misled. He thinks people are being cheated. He thinks their employees are cheating. And that is very difficult to prove and would be very time-consuming to prove. So there's a very easy thing he can do to kick daily fantasy sports out of New York, and that is just declare it to be illegal gambling, and that's it. It's over. That's a much easier thing to declare than to prove that cheating's going on. Now, let me tell you my problems with daily fantasy sports and why I think this is correct, why I think I think it should be banned everywhere until regulations are written, until this whole thing's cleaned up, because they do not know how to self-regulate. This has become a mess. It has become... 
a situation where most of the players on there are being misled. Now let's talk about poker before we get to daily fantasy sports. Let's talk about online poker and where the difference is. When you deposit onto an online poker site, provided the site operates fairly, meaning that nobody's looking at your whole cards, but that it's a fair game, you know that you are going to succeed or fail based upon two factors. Number one, the luck of how good a card you're dealt. And number two, your skill. And nothing else. Those two things, your skill and your luck. That's it. So you are not being misled when you're told you can deposit on such and such poker site. You're very aware that there are some excellent top poker players that are going to be very hard to beat, that if you play them, they're probably going to kill you. And you're aware that there's probably players worse than you that you're hoping to go up against. Except for the most delusional person, I don't think very many people log on to an online poker site and believe that they're the best player there or that they're the best poker player that ever lived. Everybody is aware that poker pros exist. Everyone is aware that there's a strong skill element to poker. Everybody's aware that the most skilled player is probably going to win, except in the short term. So most poker players know what they're getting into. And those that don't should. But daily fantasy sports is a bit different. Daily fantasy sports is marketed as just something you can do where they don't say it directly, but it's implied that it's an easy thing you can do to put together a team of fantasy players, and that especially on a daily basis, no one really has a big edge over the other. It's portrayed as something that everyone has a fair shot to win. Maybe it's not implied that everybody's 100% even or equal to one another, but it's very much implied that everyone has a chance there, that the casual player has a chance, that you don't have to play and play and play and play to get better like you do at poker. But you can just go on there and, and have a good shot at winning especially in these large tournaments. But that's not really true. It has been found that only a tiny, tiny percentage of daily fantasy sports players win. And the people who win, aside from company insiders who are accessing data that they shouldn't have access to that gives them a huge edge, aside from them, the other winners are people who have access to tools that give them an edge over everybody else. And these tools give you a huge edge. I'm talking about the guys who play like thousands of tournaments a day and have programs that enter them. Because obviously you couldn't enter manually thousands of tournaments per day. But with a, a program you could. And these programs also will monitor when a player is not playing or any other reason that someone in your lineup shouldn't be there anymore, and at the last minute can make changes, which is huge. The average player can't do that. So people who deposit to these daily fantasy sports sites and think they've got a chance to win, they don't. They're always going to get crushed by these pros who have these tools. 
and the daily fantasy sports industry has done nothing to stop it. Now, I know what you might be thinking. Wait a minute, there's the same type of tools in poker. Tools that let you know who the fish are, tools that let you know the betting tendencies of people. Well, I'm against those too, but they don't give you anywhere near the edge that these daily fantasy sports tools give you. You can still win in online poker without using those tools. How do I know? Because I have done it. I don't use those tools, and I've won in online poker. They can help, but they're not essential. On daily fantasy sports, they're essential, especially in those tournaments. I know there's some people who play those like heads-up matches on there, and those, I mean, I've heard some people claim they can win on those heads-up matches. I guess if you get people entering against you who are not these pro players, yeah, I guess you can beat it. But I'm talking about most of daily fantasy sports is unbeatable without those special tools that most people don't have. In fact, almost nobody has. So the whole marketing is kind of dishonest. The whole marketing is portraying something that seems like everybody's on even ground when they're really not. And that's really the belief you get from watching these daily fantasy sports ads, which are blanketed all over TV. I will play you an ad, for example, for uh, for DraftKings. And again, they don't say everybody's everybody's equivalent. They're not saying nobody has any skill over the other. But here's one, for example. This is the feeling of turning a game you love into a lifetime of cash. DraftKings.com, the daily fantasy baseball destination, is giving away over 300 million bucks this baseball season. And the games are one day, so you can play for your share every single day. Just pick your sport, pick your players, and pick up your cash. Step up to the plate at DraftKings.com. Pick your sport, pick your players, pick up your cash. It sounds so easy. You're just turning your natural love of baseball and knowledge of the players into money. It sounds like a just a daily contest. You just put in players you think you're going to do well today, and if you're right, you win. Easy. I mean, how many times have you as a baseball fan or a football fan or a basketball fan, how many times have you correctly guessed that someone's going to have a good game today? Well, now you can... Put it to work for you. Now you can win money doing that. It's, it sounds so simple. But it's not. You're at a huge disadvantage and you don't know it. This is very, very, very misleading. And the thing they should have been doing is they should have been banning these scripts, these programs that allow people to have these edges. And that's aside from the whole scandal that's currently going on with the insider data that was being used for their own employees to win. So the New York Attorney General is just done with it. He just He's tired of it. He said not only is this illegal gambling, not only is this the only gambling type site that can legally exist in New York, not anymore, but it was, but it was cheating people too and misleading people. That's the thing here is this really is gambling. You can't start an online poker site in New York. You can't start an online casino in New York. You can't start an online sports betting site in New York. So why can you have this? This is still gambling. But it's worse because it's misleading. 
So I support this. I support forcing the industry to clean up because they would not clean themselves up. They still haven't cleaned themselves up. They're not reacting enough here, to be honest. DraftKings and FanDuel are in like defensive mode, just trying to see if they can squeak through this rather than making sweeping changes. I mean, sure, they banned their employees from playing on other sites. That should have been done a long time ago. But I don't see them banning the usage of third-party programs to enter thousands of tournaments at once, blah, blah, blah. Like, they're not doing anything here. They're still running the same misleading ads. So this has really run out of control, and I'm actually enjoying watching this whole thing crash down on them. They did not run their companies responsibly, DraftKings and FanDuel, and now they're paying for it. Now the chickens are coming home to roost. Now, DraftKings and FanDuel in recent months, have received large investment capital in the hopes of growing their market. That's why you've seen so many commercials being run. So they've spent a lot of money. And now they've got New York yanked out from under them, which immediately takes 10% of revenue away. So this is what FanDuel said in a statement to ESPN. Fantasy sports is a game of skill and legal under New York state law. This is a politician telling hundreds of thousands of New Yorkers that they are not allowed to play a game that they love and share with friends, family, co-workers, and players across the country. The game has been played legally in New York for years and years, but after the attorney general realized he could now get himself some press coverage, he decided a game that has been around for a long, long time is now suddenly not legal. We have operated openly and lawfully in New York for several years. The only thing that changed today is the Attorney General's mind. No. The only thing that changed is that people are opening their eyes as to what you really are. That's what's happening, FanDuel. This is an arrogant statement. This is such an arrogant statement saying it's the politician trying to show off, trying to get press. Nothing wrong with us. He's just trying to get press and attacking us. That's what's crap here. They are blaming those who are reacting to their own shadiness. And making it their fault. It's not their fault. This is what DraftKings said. We are very disappointed that the New York Attorney General took such hasty action today, particularly since he did not take any time to understand our business or why daily fantasy sports are clearly a game of skill. See, they don't understand you. They probably do understand, but they're pretending not to. This isn't about skill versus luck. This isn't about gambling versus not gambling. That's just the excuse to take you guys down. This is about the fact that you guys are shady and you didn't stop it. You didn't change your ways and now they're tired of it and getting rid of you. That's what's happening. We strongly disagree with the reasoning in his opinion and will examine and vigorously pursue all legal options available to ensure that our over half a million customers in New York can continue to play fantasy sports games they love. Well, so they're trying to fight this, but it's not going to go very well because <laughs> their payment processors, the ones that are taking payments in and out of the site for them, are now putting pressure on FanDuel and DraftKings saying, we are not going to defy the New York Attorney General. 
So either you guys need to stop taking New York customers or we're gone. We're not going to process for you anymore. So I think it's pretty much over. I don't think, I don't know if officially they've, maybe someone can tell me in chat if officially they've stopped serving New York customers, but if it hasn't happened yet, it's going to be very soon because they've been ordered to do so and their payment processors are saying you better comply or we're not working with you guys anymore. Anchor Draw saying in chat, FanDuel forgot the attorney general likes Greece, got to pay off the politicians. I, I don't think it's about that. I mean, who kn- I don't know this guy very well, this politician. And uh, Forum Wars is saying in chat that FanDuel's and DraftKings are still allowing New Yorkers to play for now, but it's going to end soon. Tilted Stone saying Druff loves government. No, I actually don't. I know it may sound this way recently, but I really don't. I really don't like government interference, but sometimes it's necessary. You can't just say the government should never interfere when companies are cheating mass numbers of people. That's what the government's for, is to put a stop to these things. And we've seen time and time again, we've seen it with poker, we've seen it now with Daily Fantasy Sports, that these gambling sites cannot self-regulate. They always end up in scandal. They always end up doing things they should not be doing. We cannot count on them to treat us fairly. Do not cheat. To handle our money responsibly. To not steal the money. They need to be regulated. This is an industry which cannot regulate itself. There's too many bad things that can happen. I see in the chat uh, something I missed apparently. They have five days to respond to the New York Attorney General. And those five days have not passed yet as of the time of this broadcast. So that's why we have a little bit of ambiguity right now as to what's going to happen but I'm pretty sure by next week when I'm doing this show that you will not be able to play in New York anymore I can't see how this is going to change but they just have not operated honestly they've misled players to sign up there when they really have almost no chance to win they've allowed people using third party programs to give them a huge edge these scripts and programs that are used to play thousands of tournaments and quickly remove anyone who gets hurt or doesn't play that day. This insider trading scandal. Danny Deadwood saying in chat, they hired the best law firm in New York City. Okay, but it's only so much they can do. It's only so much they can do. So there really needs to be some sort of regulation here. I'm not saying the daily fantasy sport should be banned. I think it should be allowed. I just think it needs to be regulated. There needs to be a set of rules, a set of laws about what can and cannot be done on these sites. It shouldn't be overly burdensome regulation. It should be light regulation. But there needs to be regulation or we're going to have situations like we've been having. Is anyone surprised that an unregulated gambling site did this? That we're having these problems? That we're having these scandals? Is anyone surprised? Did you not learn from the UB scandal, from the AP scandal, from the Full Tilt scandal? Have you not learned yet? 
It will be the same thing over and over and over till the end of time until regulation is put in place for these sites. Even if you hate government, even if you hate regulation, you've got to support it in this case. So, New York seems like it's headed out. Seems like it's going to be gone soon. And it sounds like if they don't agree to stop and try to fight it through their lawyers, I think the payment processors are going to bail out anyway. Now, I played you a DraftKings commercial, and the FanDuel commercials are pretty similar, too. But uh, actually, I recently was notified that FanDuel has started to come around, and FanDuel has agreed to start running some more truthful commercials. And they, they haven't started running these yet, but these are commercials which are set to air uh, during the next series of NFL games on Sunday. So here's the first one. If you're not giving all your money to FanDuel, you're crazy. FanDuel's one-week fantasy football leagues are paying $75 million a week with immediate cash payouts and no commitment. Thanks to FanDuel and my insider knowledge, I lost my job at DraftKings and still made over $2 million. Just choose a league, pick your team, and lose all your cash after Monday night. With FanDuel, I make the calls wrong. I'm always right. Try FanDuel today. We'll match your first deposit up to 200 bucks. Go to FanDuel.com and enter promo code LOSECASH. That was the first one. Here's the second one. FanDuel made me reprioritize my life. That was all of our savings, Dick. I know. FanDuel's one-week fantasy football leagues are taking $75 million a week. Because it's a game of skill, there's no gambling involved. I've deposited $423,178, and I've won a total of eight. Just choose a league, pick your team, and lose all your cash after Monday night. It's a rush rethinking life's decisions. Try FanDuel today. We'll match your first deposit up to 200 bucks. Go to FanDuel.com and enter promo code IDIOT. <laughs> and here's the third one. I, I'm liking these commercials. I think this is where they should be going. So this, is, this is why we need regulation to force them to run honest commercials like these, which uh, at least now they're starting to come around and do anyway. FanDuel takes all the fun of football and gambling and makes it very interesting. We're finally admitting it. FanDuel is gambling. With immediate cash loss and no commitment, we're taking away over $75 million a week. FanDuel uses my name, image, likeness without my proper consent or the proper licensing rights. Just choose a league. Pick any player except for Pierre Garçon and lose all your cash after Monday night. It's made me make some life choices. This dick ain't gonna suck itself. Try FanDuel today. We'll match your first deposit up to 200 bucks. Go to FanDuel.com and enter promo code, you're fucked. See, if we had commercials like that, I wouldn't even be doing this segment. Then people would know what they're getting into. Now, Florida. Florida has decided that they're going to take a different approach. Florida is saying that they are not looking to ban daily fantasy sports. 
but that they would like to regulate it, which is the right approach. Two Florida state regulators have filed a draft of a a bill which aims to regulate fantasy sports. State Senator Joe Negron and Representative Matt Goetz want it to be regulated with uh, rules and consumer protection in place. This bill defines a legal fantasy game using almost exactly the same language as is found in the fantasy sports carve-out in the UIGEA that was passed in 2006. So this is what it says. A, the value of all prizes and awards offered to winning game participants are established and made known to the game participants in advance of the uh, the fantasy game. B, all winning outcomes reflect the relative knowledge and skill of the game participants and shall be determined predominantly by accumulated statistical results of the performance of individuals, including athletes in the case of sporting events. C, no winning outcome is based on the score, point spread, or any performance or performances of a single team or combination of such teams or solely on any single performance of any individual athlete or player in any single event. Basically, they're making sure it's not sports betting. And then the player protections that they added are the following. Fantasy operator employees and relatives of the operator in their household may not play in games where a cash prize offered is more than $5. Game operators... Are may not play in their own contest. This is presumably whoever owns the company, not the an employee. Information that may affect gameplay may not be shared with third parties until it is made publicly available. The sites also have to verify that the player is of age, at least 18 years old, and also that athletes and officials cannot play fantasy sports and that they're banned automatically and also allow players to be able to self-ban and that all funds must be held in a separate account. That is, player funds must be held separately from operating funds so they don't pull a full tilt and steal them to run the company. The bill sets a registration fee for a game operator, that is the companies that want to offer fantasy sports in Florida, at $500,000 with an annual renewal fee of $100,000. But there are no additional taxes laid out. You must get a license if you offer fantasy games for a cash prize to more than 750 people. Now, this doesn't restrict these companies from only offering the games to Florida residents. It's just if they want to operate in Florida, they have to do those things and agree to these items. And, of course, pay the fees. So I think it's a good idea. I think it may need a bit of fine-tuning, but I think it's a good idea. Can you imagine, I mean, this is like a bizarro world here, that Florida seems to be the most sensible state right now when it comes to fantasy sports. Florida is actually doing the sensible thing. <laughs> didn't I, th- I didn't think I'd see that day when Florida is setting the example for this country, the positive example. That's what we need. We need regulation in all 50 states or any state where this is going to be allowed to play. It can't continue unregulated. It just can't. 
So hopefully New York will put some regulations in place to allow it. Hopefully this is just a temporary measure. I don't support banning it entirely, but I think that it needs to be banned temporarily while regulations are written and passed. Keep in mind, this is not was intended for the fantasy sports carve-out in 2006. The fantasy sports carve-out from the UIGEA in 2006, that was done in order to allow large sites like Yahoo or ESPN to run fantasy sports contests for a small entry fee and not be breaking the law. That's what this was done for. There was no daily fantasy sports in 2006 when this law was written. Daily fantasy sports is completely different, and that strongly resembles gambling. It goes from like a fun contest for 20 bucks to outright gambling, which is what it is now. I am professional talk in the chat says Florida is not the first. A few states already have DFS legislation in place. Okay, well, you can tell me which ones. I, I had not heard of this before. Anchor Draw saying the PPA should get poker tied in to the Daily Fantasy Sports regu- regulation. Yeah, they should. I hope that they're trying because it's a good opportunity. I mean, they're two different things, but in another way, they're kind of the same. Both are skill games. Both have a gambling element. And both need regulation in order to protect the consumer Both should be legal, but also should be regulated. So, I hope the PPA is doing that. Someone suggested a few days ago that maybe I should have Rich Muni from the PPA, the vice president. He was on the show once before, but that maybe I should have him on here to talk about the PPA's plans with that. And what they're going to do regarding trying to piggyback with any kind of regulation with daily fantasy sports for regulation of poker. But I don't know. I just, I was picturing having him on and I was just kind of afraid it's going to turn into like some ramble fest. Like I was just afraid it's going to turn into like a long speech about the PPA and how wonderful it is and all the great things they're doing. And I I didn't want to turn this show into a PPA infomercial. So I decided not to. But if anyone has any info as to what, like, legitimately they're doing to join with Daily Fantasy Sports to get regulated, I'd love to see. But I I don't even think these existing Daily Fantasy Sports sites really want this regulation. I think they're kind of trying to prevent the whole thing. I don't think they like that. I think they want to – I think they're still delusional. They want to go back to the old way of no regulation, just do what they want. I haven't seen daily fantasy sports companies. I haven't seen DraftKings or FanDuel say, oh, yeah, come on, regulate us. Come on, let's see some laws. Let's see it. We're, we're on board. Let's see it. Let's see it happen. Like, the poker sites, they want it. The poker sites are all like, hey, go ahead, regulate us. We just want to exist in this market. But I'm not seeing that from daily fantasy sports. They're not saying we want to be regulated. They're just saying, like, back off, leave us alone, which is not acceptable. All right, let's see what else we have. 
I lost my agenda. I always lose the agenda at some point during the show. It just gets away from me somehow. Here it is. All righty. Someone's asking what happened to Daredevil. I don't know. When Brandon came back for a while, Daredevil kind of stepped back, which is fine, but I'd like it if he came back. I, I actually heard some shows with Daredevil when I was listening to the live archive streaming. Sorry, archive streaming. I got to say it right. And I thought he sounded good. I'm like, oh, I miss Daredevil. I should contact him and ask him if he wants to come back. Let's see here. Short Bus Poker posted in the thread for the forum that, or for the radio show on the forum, that uh, he wants to donate his $20 that he won last week to a bounty on Sonatine and Willie. But I didn't announce it because I didn't see it. <laughs> so I, I guess that's what we'll do this week. Sorry for not announcing it. But if you... If you knock out either Willie Stoll or... Sonatine, who plays as Teen something, T-I-N-E, then you can message me, I'll send you $10. Okay, let's talk about Amaya. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 is the phone number to the show. For some reason, I'm consuming a lot of water. I think it's because it's really dry over here right now. Like, it's unusually dry where I'm broadcasting the show from in the secret location. I've just, I, I usually go through about two bottles of water during the show. But we've only been on for about an hour 15, and I've drank a bottle and a half of water, and I feel like I, I want to finish the second one. I don't even have a third one in here. I may actually have to pause the show and get another water pretty soon. Anyway, Amaya, the owner of Poker Stars, their stock has crashed. It's crashed big time. On November 9th, I'm going to read you this article. It's on The Motley Fool. Let me get to this. Should have had this up, but I don't have it up. So, this was on the Canadian version of Motley Fool, which is an investment site. Benjamin Sinclair wrote an article, which was released on the morning of November 9th, called Why I Just Made a Big Bet on Amaya Inc. They own Poker Stars in Full Tilt. So he said that Amaya holds a 70% market share in the online poker industry, that no online poker site even has a 7% market share. So they have 70%. 
He said this lead is very difficult for competitors to break because Amaya has the most players that can offer offer the biggest tournaments and the widest selection of cash games. He says in the poker business, this is called having liquidity. That's really not what it's called. <laughs> that's not what liquidity is in poker. That's uh, that's game selection. He says in the recent years, the Poker Stars brand, which accounts for the vast majority of Amaya's revenue, has actually been increasing its lead. Amaya's poker business is extremely profitable, and this should make sense. After all, software companies often have very high margins, and PokerStars is headquartered in the tax-friendly the tax friendly Isle of Man. Best of all, as PokerStars grows revenue, its costs will not grow nearly as quickly. And then he goes on to write about how it has numerous opportunities to grow. That they've started offering other forms of gambling, including sports betting and casino games, and that they can market it to its existing database of poker players, which is a major advantage. And he claims they're also going to have an opportunity to come into the U.S., like in New Jersey and other states, and he thinks that's another big advantage. And he thought that the stock was cheap. At the time, it was in the 30s. So, those were all his reasons for why he was buying large shares of Amaya. This was on the morning of November 9th. Well, throughout the day of November 9th, Amaya lost over 30% of its value. Whoops! Whoops! Talk about a poorly timed article. He released this article on the morning of the 9th, and minutes later, the stock started to tank. So, this surprised some people. Some people were assuming that Amaya was healthy and strong and PokerStars was doing well. Everything was great. Apparently not. On November 9th, Amaya fell. And by the way, when he said it was over $30, that was Canadian. But in U.S. dollars, which we're going to talk about here, Amaya fell from $23.56 U.S. to $15.99. That was how it fell on the NASDAQ. It even was as low as $15.34 at one point on that day. The company lost over 32% of its value. I guess actually it was on the 10th, not the 9th. I guess he wrote that article on the 9th. This happened on the 10th. So... Why did this happen? How did the stock crash 32% in one day for Amaya? What, what the hell happened? That's a major crash. Well, Amaya CEO David Bezov said this. The general strengthening of the U.S. dollar relative to certain foreign currencies, primarily the euro has resulted in an approximate 19% decline in purchasing power of our customer base and has had a significant negative impact on our revenues, higher than we previously anticipated. So, as a result, they lowered their earnings projections for 2015. And that's what sent the stock plummeting. That's what happened. Bezov said that the 
strength of the U.S. dollar has forced them to adjust their profit estimates for 2015. Before they were claiming that they were going to be taking in $1.29 billion, anywhere from there to $1.339 billion. Or sorry, that's what, the, that's what the update is. Previously, it was 13% higher than that. So they lowered it by 13% to give a range of $1.29 billion to $1.34 billion. That's the revised estimate, which is 13% lower than before. And they're claiming the reason they're just discovering this now, because you know, we're sitting here on November, I guess it was 10th when this happened. So mid-November, with only a month and a half left to go in 2015, how could they not know up until now? It's not like they're projecting 2015 earnings in February. This is projecting 2015 earnings in November. So why did it take this long to realize that they weren't going to make that much money? So they're blaming the U.S. dollar, that the U.S. dollar is strong, and that when the U.S. dollar is strong, that when players buy in using euros or other currency which is weakened against the dollar that they're just not getting as much money to play with and therefore they're making less money. That's the story being peddled by David Bezov. But is it the truth? Is it the truth? Is that really why their earnings were lower? I don't believe it. If you take a look At the U.S. dollar's strength versus the euro over the year of 2015, which you can do by Googling it. You can also go to the link I posted to it on the Amaya Stock Crashes thread on the Poker Community Discussion Forum on Poker Fraud Alert. But you can also just Google U.S. dollar versus euro chart, and you'll find a chart on XE.com. But if you go to this chart for the U.S. dollar versus the euro and you look at the one-year view, you see that the dollar's strength spiked just as the new year began. It started a big run-up. So it ran up, then it hit a temporary peak in February. I think late January, actually. Yeah, late January. Then it kind of held steady. Then it rocketed up again, and by mid-March, it hit its all-time high. I think it was on March 14th. It hit its all-time high, the U.S. dollar versus the euro. After that, it fell a little, gained a little, fell a little, gained a little, but kind of stayed right around the same spot after mid-March. Then it creeped up again in the last few weeks, but where it is right now is still lower than where it was on March 14th. But what you will see by looking at the chart of the U.S. dollar versus the euro is that there really has not been very much change in the year 2015. And what change there was occurred at the very, very beginning of the year. So it did run up a lot at the beginning of the year, but this was the very, very beginning of the year. It has not been higher than it was on March 14th, the U.S. dollar. So how does that explain why in November they are revising earnings projections 
based upon the strength of the U.S. dollar that supposedly surprised them. How is this a surprise? How could they not have known this? How could any issue that they are having now as a result of the U.S. dollar strength, they should have been having back in March, back in February, back in January. How could they not know this till now? So I don't believe it. It doesn't make any sense. If you look at the Great Britain pound, you've got kind of a similar situation where most of the run-up occurred in the early part of the year. A bit more variance to it, but uh, still right now, it's lower, the U.S. dollar, than it was in the early part of the year compared to the pound. So this isn't a matter where in the second half of 2015 that the dollar rocketed up against the euro and that's causing them all these problems. That's not what happened. It's been this way the whole year. So that excuse doesn't make any sense. Now, what actually might have made sense had they used this as an excuse would be if they talked about the Canadian dollar because Amaya is a Canadian company and the Canadian dollar, that had a bit of a different story. The Canadian dollar did rise or the US, did, the US dollar did rise against it in the second half of 2015. It had that same run up at the beginning of the year but then it fell down some during the spring and then starting from kind of like mid-June it started to go up, 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 up and then it hit its peak in September. So the second half of the year the Canadian dollar has been a lot weaker compared to the US dollar than during the first half of the year. So there they can make that claim but they're not. They've, they've had nothing to say about the Canadian dollar. They're saying it was the euro and they're, they're specifically saying that our players using the euro are not getting as much for their money. Now, this also doesn't make much sense because since they're not playing with Americans on there, it doesn't matter that the games are, quote, U.S. dollar games because you can't really cash out in U.S. dollars. So it doesn't really mean much. When people are buying in, they're buying in whatever they feel that they can afford to gamble. So if somebody feels that they can afford to play with 1,000 euros on poker stars, that's what they're going to put in. And whatever they get back for their 1,000 euros, whether it's more or less in U.S. dollars, it doesn't matter. All that matters is how much they're putting in in euros. Now, you can say that to Amaya it matters once they convert it over to Canadian dollars, since they're a Canadian company. But again, the uh, the Canadian dollar is actually weaker in the second half of 2015. So what this means is they're actually getting uh, more Canadian dollars for every euro that's bought in. So this should actually be helping them. When someone buys in a thousand euros now, they're getting a lot more money at Poker Stars than they were a year ago when someone bought in a thousand euros. Because translating into Canadian dollars, they're getting to have a lot more. So this should be helping them, not hurting them. 
Just because the games are technically running in U.S. dollars is meaningless. That's just a, a translation thing. I mean, you could you don't have to run the game in any currency. You could just uh, make up a currency. You could say uh, when you buy in, it's it's uh, you're buying into PokerStars dollars, which translate at uh, one and a half euros. I mean, you can make up anything. The stakes of the game being in dollars is just it's just using that as a currency everyone understands. That's all. That's the only reason they're using dollars for that. They're they're only using the system of dollars just so it can be a currency everyone understands. So, it doesn't make much sense. Now, they can say that with the U.S. dollar being stronger that they are forced to cash people out. You know, if you, I guess in a way you're currency speculating by buying in and uh, having it converted to U.S. dollars. But I know a lot of people don't even have that. A lot of people, uh, they actually, even though the games are in U.S. dollars, they actually convert it on the spot at the table. But that your balance actually is listed in euros or uh, or Great British pounds or whatever. So I, I don't even know if anybody even has a balance listed in dollars. Or if they do, that's I don't think that's the majority of players. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong. And again, that's not the excuse they used either. They're just claiming that the people buying in with euros just don't have the purchasing power they used to. But it's, it's different because they're not buying goods. It's not like they're saying that uh, we're not getting many sweaters that are made in America bought by people in Europe because now it's too expensive for them to buy these sweaters because their money's worth less now. It's not the same thing. Gambling's not the same thing. Gambling, you just gamble the amount you want to gamble. It doesn't matter what the exchange rate is. If the exchange rate is higher, then uh, you just adjust what limits you play. So really, as, as far as I'm concerned, to me it looks like that since they are a company in Canada... And since when someone deposits to the site, that they do so in their own currency and then presumably it converts to Canadian dollars and that's how they get the money out that they store, your money that they're holding, I, I would assume that when the Canadian dollar is weaker as it has been, this should be helping them. So the whole story just makes no sense. Now, the next day, it even fell further. It fell another 7%. And it went back up today. So today it's returned to where it was on Tuesday. But... uh, I think the problem here, and this was suggested by Forum Wars over on our forum, is that Poker Stars is actually shrinking. According to Poker Scout, over the last six months, they have fewer players than they did earlier in the year. The six month graph shows they've declined. Not a sharp decline, but a decline. So they're actually regressing. And Forum Wars wrote on the forum, Every analyst, shareholder, and casual observer has been led to believe that poker is still a growth story, 
but for the past six months, their main worldwide platform has seen a decline in players. It's true. That's probably the reason that they are not earning what they thought they would, is that they are just not getting as many players. And this would explain why they are making these sweeping changes to their VIP program and becoming as grinder unfriendly as possible is because they realize they have to make a change. They realize that the fish are not lasting as long, that they're getting fewer people coming on and depositing, fewer people are staying there, more people are just quitting the site and not coming back, and that they've got to do something to stop this. So they're, that's why they're making these changes. That's not why they say they're making these changes, but I bet that's why they're making these changes. One thing to consider is that recreational players don't want to lose every single time. This has long been a formula that casinos, even brick-and-mortar casinos, are still trying to work out. And that is you need mostly a customer base of people who lose for your business to be profitable. But how much do you want them to lose and how fast do you want them to lose? Because if they lose too much too quickly, it will not be fun and they will quit. People gamble because it's fun. And all but the very, very addicted gamblers quit if they feel like they can't win. A gambler who loses every single time he sits down is going to quit. What brings the gambler back is the memory of winning. That's the addictive part of gambling, is the memory of success is remembering the feeling you had when you were doing well, when everything was going right, just winning money left and right. That's what brings you back even during the bad times. But if you have no good times to remember, if every session is a bad one, you're not going to want to come back. So casinos have tried to straddle that line where they make it so you're almost sure to lose, but not lose every time. They want the odds to be against you, but not too much against you. They want you to have a feeling like you've got a chance to win. They don't want you just to get crushed because that'll be no fun for you and you will not come back and that'll actually cost the money in the long run. So Amaya is realizing this with their poker games that there are too many, rec- there are too many professional players who are crushing the recreational players and crushing them really fast and it's no fun for the recreational players and they're just quitting and not coming back. If you put $1,000 or 1,000 euros on poker stars and you lose it really quickly to grinding pros on the site, it's not going to be fun for you. You're going to go, wow, I just lost 1,000 euros in like 20 minutes. Screw that. <laughs> this is no fun. I'm leaving. It's a waste of money. Now, if you could make the 1,000 euros stand up for a while and play a whole lot of poker and it takes you a month to lose it, then, then, you, then you have some winning days in there. You say, okay, well, I lost overall, but it was fun. I felt like I had a chance. So that's what they're going for over on Amaya, and I can't blame them. But they have been losing players. 775-FRAUD55, 775-372-8355. Some of you may remember Josie, who posts on the forum as Josie the Pussycat. I haven't seen her in a while, but she's on the forum right now. I saw her just log in. I don't know if she's listening right now. I'd like to hear an update from her. We haven't heard from her in a while. 
So where's Amaya's stock going to go? I don't know. Someone on my Twitter tweeted to me that he thinks it's headed for like 6 or $7, where right now it's at around 16 That is U.S. dollars. I don't know. I have seen that uh, some investment analysts are suggesting that Amaya is a good buy right now, but I wouldn't. It's one of these things too hard to predict. It could jump back up or it could continue crashing. I have no idea which direction it's going to go. I just stay away. Caller, you are on the air. No, no, no. Private question. So this is because I can't talk on air. Do you have another number? Call me back. Not on air. Very serious. Wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. So you have a question for me? For you. Not. And this is Josie, right? No, it's her cousin. This is jo- what? Jennifer. Josie's I, right with me. I'm so confused. I'm so, so confused here. So, so Josie's cousin is calling into this radio show, and you want me to what? Like, put the show on hold while I call you back? No, you can text a serious question though. Wait, what? I- I'm confused. What do you want me to do? Do it after. Just do it after. It's, so, it's okay. too long to get into right now. With Family drama. There's family. There's, there's always family drama. Into. There's always family drama out there in Pittsburgh. Always. There is. There is a lot of family drama. Does this involve uh, Thomas? No, it doesn't. Actually, it does well, not involve Thomas. I, I can't believe bad guy is innocent this time. I can't believe he's. Uh... Yeah, it, it has actually nothing to do with him. Wow. Believe it or not. So, so why am I being yeah. consulted on this? What does this have to do with me? I'm just curious. Well, well, only um, I I don't I don't want to really say it. Uh, well, you don't have to give detail, well, but it's... to see who your members are, you, I know you can see the people, you know, that are on. If there's anyone else on, very close from the area. Uh, no, I actually I don't really have that. I don't really like I can I can look up where a specific user's from, but I don't have like a map in front. Yeah, of Yeah, that's what I meant. No, I know that I'm not a moron. I know you don't have a map in front of you. That'd be cool I mean, if I did though. If I had like a map of where everybody yeah, is at the moment. Yeah, maybe you should invent that. That'd be good. I probably could have that. Like I probably could make that. Why don't you? That's not even that hard. You should make that. We're gonna PM. Okay, we're gonna PM you a, a message. All right, she can message and, me on Facebook and, and, too if she wants. Yeah, and I, I I definitely suggest you get on that map thing. That that would probably bring in a lot of doubt. Okay, well I'm glad we got something. And, out and of this actually, call. you know what? Since I kind of helped you, I brought it up. I'm I'm in on this. I want some royalties. Well, I'm not going to make any money from it. This site loses money, so you can you can pay me. Oh, your site loses money. Yeah, yeah. It's not it's not exactly a, a oh, cash cow. I, I I like to help people out. I'm very generous. I can do a lot of charity, so I I can help you out. Oh, good, good. That's yeah. I not yeah I mean but aren't you Jewish you should have a lot of money. Well, I, I I do have some money I just don't make money on this site this this show is kind oh, of more of like okay. a hobby rather than uh, no I actually make money from playing poker but uh, doing this show oh, and running okay. this site doesn't really do anything for me. Do you lose money? You literally personally lose money to do this every yes. week. Yes, I actually lose money on this show and the site. Not a whole lot, but I do lose money. <laughs> well, then. You like to hear yourself talk that much that you'll do this? Okay. I mean, and to be honest, yes. <laughs> Tell them Jennifer's a millionaire. Right. Tell them Jennifer that they're writing that I, Jennifer fucks losers. Jennifer's married to a millionaire. Don't worry, buddy. 
<laughs> Wait, so you're you're married to a millionaire? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh. Maybe I should get you yeah. to give money to the show then. Maybe I should have you reach into your husband's wallet and just uh, send money for the yeah, free roll. I have my own money, too. It's oh, you have your own money. Wow. I've made my own money, too. So now are you a first cousin of Josie's? Actually, her mother and I are first cousins. Josie and I are second cousins. Your mother? So, so you must – wait, hold on. So you were like – are you a lot older than she is? No. My dad was the baby. I have first cousin. Josie and I are only a year apart. That's so weird. See, I, it's always so weird to me when there's a family where someone who's supposed to be from a different generation is actually like the same age. Like when someone's the yeah, same age as their Yeah, but when you have a uncle. large family, like there was nine of them, and my dad was the baby. And in her, Josie's grandmother was like the second or third oldest, so my dad was the baby, and all my first cousins could be my parents or grandparents. You should tell Josie that when I had my dental problems this fall, that I, I obtained a whole lot of Vicodin. I have a lot of Vicodin oh, now left over. Okay. And, I, and I'm not hey, even using she, 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 that's her that, That's her poison, man. I, she can't saying. get enough of those Vs. Boy, she just jones for them. I, I'm telling you, I should, I should take a picture of what I have now and send it to her. She'll have like an instant orgasm. Oh, she will. Maybe I will, too. I mean, who knows? <laughs> Maybe her baby will, too. I mean, it's just like a, it would just be like a plethora of, of Vicodin looking at them. Yeah, like when I was yeah, when I was in could. pain, we could liquefy it for her baby. You know, she had a baby. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I know, I know, I know. I didn't want to. Come on, I I wasn't going to suggest that we get the kid hooked on Vi- Vicodin. Even that's that's too much for this show. Why not? Come on, get him going young, draft. Come on, don't well, you get your kid in on poker? Don't you? Oh, see. You know what? Uh, actually, you got to get them all on the family, whatever. What's so weird is Kent. What's really funny here is that Benjamin had an assignment today from school. To take a deck of cards and sort the deck of cards into the different uh, ranks. And I'm thinking, wow, this is preparing for the future. They don't know how uh, appropriate this is. Oh, yeah, that is kind of odd. Now, he, what grade is he in? Well, he's in uh, what's called transitional kindergarten. It's like a year before kindergarten. Uh, but he he did watch me play online poker today. For the first time? Or is he no, no, no. He, before, no he's, sure. he, he's watched it many times. In fact, one time I was dealt six deuce offsuit. And he said, oh, that's a bad hand. You should throw it away. There you go. The prodigy. So he's You're already, raising. He's, he's already starting he will, out He here. will rise above you and knock everyone out. No, that would be good. He, he like will I, be the... That's fine if he rises yeah, above you. Yeah, that would be good. No, I actually hope that in the 2032 World Series that we could play together at a World Series event. Maybe, you know, we, we can finish first and second. 2032, okay. That's, How old is your son? Well, he's five, but he won't be... In 2031, he won't be 21 until after the World Series is over. So he'll have oh. to be wait till the next year in 2032. I'll be 60 then. But okay, well, that's good. Hey, you have a plan. That's yeah, yeah. I mean, no, I won't. Then we can finish I mean, like one, two, and I don't even like he can beat me. That's fine. Like I don't have to win the brace. I can just be second. Yeah, that would he, actually. Yeah, and he, that he would can be, be cool first. If he did beat you. Yeah, he can be first. Yeah. Or would you wouldn't let him though? You you would really try to win. You wouldn't let your son beat you. You know, it would be kind of tough now that I think of it. Like if my son in yeah, his he first, couldn't. In he his, wouldn't. Yeah, like he would go hard, falls to the wall. You well, wouldn't like. No, I think I, I think I might have to soft play him because this would be his first year playing at the World Series, 
And I, of course, already have a bracelet. So, like, here would be his chance to yeah. win a bracelet in his first year of the World Series. And I wouldn't be, I wouldn't want to be the one to take that away from him. So, if anybody's listening to this program in 2032, and this does happen where me and him are heads up for a bracelet, I am probably going to collude and let him win. So, I'm just letting everybody know well, that. That's, that's not right. You well, shouldn't do that. I know. Hey, but... My kids are 11. Maybe I'll get them in there. I have twin boys that are 11. Maybe I. I should start teaching them to play. Well, I don't know how to play poker, but hey, maybe you could take them on as apprentices. And <laughs> and Josie's son too. He's only fourteen months. But boy, we could get these kids, you know, counting cards. Yeah, but, you know, the by the time whatever. Josie's son can play, I'll be like almost sixty-five, and I'm going to start getting too well, old for okay. this. Well, sixty. What, do, you, how, do you think you'll be dead before you're sixty-five? I hope not. I hope, I mean, no, I have. I hope I have more time left than that. That's that'd be kind of depressing if well, I had I like. Tw- 20 years left or something. That's kind of crappy. What? Do you have health issues or something? I mean, no, no, I, 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 I don't think that that's going to happen. It it can, anything can happen. I, I, I'm not thinking that's what's likely any day, but you know, you can get hit like by a heart attack at any time. Tell, tell, uh, Jen doesn't need to go on Tinder. Jen does just fine, not on Tinder. Whoever says that. Oh, you're, you're in the (laughs) chat room. Oh, yeah, well, uh, Jen is on. Yeah, I'm on. I'm on Grinder. Yeah, yeah, I'm on. Actually, I'm exclusively on Grinder. Well, hold on though. I, yeah, you don't need the, the Tinder because you're married. I mean, I guess you could use it to cheat, but I, I wouldn't think you need well, that. Well, I'm on both. I'm on Grinder, Tinder. I'm on Bender. I'm on whatever. I mean, hey, I, I'm hardly ever home. I barely know my kids. I'm out there all the time, getting you know whatever. How long but, have you been married? Jen, did you? Do, no, I did not do IVF to get my twins. They were au naturel. Okay, okay stop answering oh, the chat. Here, I'm, hold on, hold on. We're on this show. Don't answer the chat room. I'm asking you questions here. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, oh, so how long have you been married? How long have I been married? Yeah. Um, Twelve years. Thir- almost thirteen. Hmm. Yeah, that's pretty long. So how about you? Well, I, I've never been married. How long? I've never I been know, married. But you're you're betrayed. I mean, you're committed. How long have you been? It's common law. Oh, yeah, probably no, would be. No, there's no common law here how? either. There's no such thing of that over here. But uh, oh, there's I, no such I, thing of that pretty much anymore, anyways. I, right now, I've been with my girlfriend for six and a half years. Six and a half years. Yes. Oh. So, but with thirteen years, that's probably been like you probably never did any online dating. That's. That goes back. No, I never did any online dating. I'm, yeah. I'm, I, I'm 40. That was a little, yeah, that I mean, came a little after me. I mean, it now, existed. I, why you, do you do? Did you do a lot of online? You know dating? what? I I, I lost my I, I lost my virginity to a girl I met online in the 80s. Oh, that's yeah. cool. Can you imagine if if you would have hit the Tinder era? Like you could have really like. Banged it out. So I don't know though. I don't know if that really would have been my thing. I, well, I you think lost I, your virginity to a girl you met online. But it was different I mean, like, though. Why? It was it was different because you would talk to them first. You you would establish. Uh, oh, it was uh, it was a uh, re, a relationship what, via well, messaging. What, what, well, it wasn't really a relationship. There were feelings you, there with your computer screen. Well, no, you'd get to know the person. You, you talk. You, you talk back and forth, you know, it was, it was different than just Tinder where you're just like going through like a meat market and picking out. I, I don't know if I would have liked that. Well, it's, it's the internet meat market there, Druff, come on. And how long was it the first time that you have rendezvoused with your internet love that you lost your virginity to her? 
Well, you know, back in back in eighty nine, yeah. Yeah, the first time you two saw each other in person. No, 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 no. It wasn't you, the first. It wasn't the first night we met. No. Oh. No, it took so how a while. many times? Well, it was a complicated. It was a complicated story because we we messed around the first night we met, and also back in '89, you has, you didn't see any pictures, so it was like a leap of faith. So you would just go, oh. you describe each other, and then go meet, and you'd never know what you're going to see. So, mm. so, so what was? Did you ever have any bad, any bad like ones that you were talking? Oh yeah, to yeah. You yeah. Went and met them, and they were like fucking like. Uh, pig, cow. Like. Yes, yes. Everybody had those, though. I didn't have that many because I was pretty good at sniffing out BS. So I, I would pick out the oh, liars really? pretty quickly. Yeah, but uh, it, it was stressful because you also didn't know how much they were going to like you. So not only did you have to like them, but they had to like you. And you like you wouldn't know a lot of this until you'd meet in person. And sometimes like you'd have a great relationship over the phone, over the computer, and then meet in person. And then one one or both people are not attracted. So it would kind of suck. Well, what about what about those chat? Party lines. Were you into them? Did yeah, you ever do them? Yeah, I like was into that too. Yes, like, yes. Did you do those? I bet you did. Yeah. Did you? I, I did. Yes. Yeah. Ever ever meet anyone on there? That oh yeah. Anywhere? Did you ever? Yeah. No, I even I even uh, met and had sex with a girl who was a wrong number back in the early nineties. Oh, you yeah. called her wrong, or she called? No, you no, wrong? she called me wrong. Yeah. And then you guys ended up screwing. Yeah, Boy, yeah. You I, must have got a lot of game. Boy, that's good. <laughs> well, I guess I have phone game, but. Uh, yeah, yeah exactly. So yeah, phone game, poker game. I don't know. Get it, poker game. Ha ha ha. I've got a question for you. Someone, yeah, someone texted me and said these bitches are high as fuck. Is that true? Are you high right now? Oh, I'm high as a fucking kite. I, I yeah, I'm high all the time. No, I'm not high. I'm okay. just high on life. This all is right. me, twenty four seven now. Not high. Okay. And... Do you really believe this drug shit, Druff? Come on. Well, I kind of do. I, I, I think that I think Josie legitimately likes Vicodin. I believe if I showed up there, oh, really? Yeah, I, I, I believe okay. if I showed up there in Pittsburgh with my remaining Vicodin, I think Josie would be very, very happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, you know what? We, wait, that that is actually really funny. You don't think any of this shit that Josie said on this show is like. A persona, fake bullshit. I think some of it like, is, but I think some of it isn't. I like, think some of it's based in truth. That's what I think. I, I agree. Some of it is. Oh, there it you is. go. But definitely, just like your past relationships with the internet dating and your party line hookups, and yeah. No, but that's all true, though. I'm not making that up. That's all like 100. Yeah, true. I know you're not making it up, but I'm saying people that you met through that put on a persona, and you know what I mean. And then you meet them, and you know. Yeah. Well, you know, Josie, kept, I, she kept saying that she's going to come to Vegas, and uh, and I would have met we, up with her. But, her but, and I have been to Vegas three times, and he's scared. He is well, scared. He would never, I know. You understand, her and I have been to Vegas three times, and each time, I her, I was, she's been at my house and called into this goofy show, and you were always this, that, oh, okay. Eh, never appeared. I think you're scared. No, I think you would. No. I, I actually, you're terrified. This, wait, this never happened though. I, I, I never just got like. I may not have it been never there. Happened. I've never. Okay, I you, probably wasn't in Vegas at the time. If I was in Vegas at the time, I would have met Josie. It would have been fine. The one time I remember you were at like something in Salt or Reno or something, but there were other. There was an. We've been to Vegas what three times in the past. Why every time? Yeah, every time. And then why? And there's a chance We we hit Vegas up quite a lot throughout 
we well, when's the next, when's the next time you're going there? get a glimpse of you. It's just, it's hard. When's the next time you're going there? Uh, I'm not sure when we're going next. It's, it's hard now that Josie has this little nugget. We're hoping we could just put them on a carrier and throw a blanket over them and they wouldn't <laughs> be in the casino. And, um, well, what she you could know, do if she, totally. if she can't really afford to pay for a ticket for him, what she can do is uh, just check him in for $25 <laughs> as baggage. Exactly. Well, that is exactly what we would do. Actually, I, that's what I, I she does with me and I've done with her in the past because neither one of us can really afford two tickets or a hotel room or to gamble or to eat or drink. It's well, it's a travel lodge. We most stay of this, at the travel lodge. They most did of this give stuff. us the um, you know, premier suite at the travel lodge right there on the strip. That's our favorite place. Yeah, most most of the stuff we're you're actually, talking about here, like the, the gambling money and the the place to stay and the food, that could all be obtained uh, at being girls in Vegas. I'm sure you could obtain this from uh, dudes that are there that are looking for some action. That I'm sure you could do. Oh, really? Like any girl who's in Vegas who, who looks like even like okay, you don't have to like re- be really hot. Just like as long as you're like okay looking. You can easily get oh. free stuff from guys there. Easily. I never knew that. Even without putting out. You don't even have to put out. You can just get it. I don't even have to put out and I can get a free drink? Not just a free drink. A free everything. Oh, like, Josie, I wouldn't even have to put... Josh just told me in Vegas, a girl that looks okay, I wouldn't even have to put out and I could get you. See, look at them laughing at this. You've obviously done now. this so many times. You're, you're mocking know. me about this. Do you know what this. I look like, Josie's asking? I've never seen you before, yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't There's think I a have. A lot of people. I don't think I have. Uh, Josie and I. A lot of people say we look a, a lot alike. Yeah. Yeah, this... that's good. Maybe I'll just walk around the streets of Vegas looking for drinks and 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 meals and. So how come I've never heard of you before? In all this time that Josie's been on the site, you've the heard first... of me. You just don't remember what Jenny. Well, what have I heard? On the... I don't remember. I you. don't know, Josie. You just kind of came from, out of nowhere. A lot of times from my radio, from my house to the show. Oh. Well, I think what probably happened is she called from your house, but you were never identified. So I never knew that that's where she well, was. Well, yes. Maybe I was trying to lay low, be off grid, under the radar, you know. So have you known who I was? Like, how long have you known who I am? Well, I mean, just, I don't know. How long? Have, when did you first tell me about this radio show? Well, since before she was pregnant, I don't know. Not all that long. Hmm. I mean, but, what, two years maybe? I don't know. I, okay. I, I don't know. I'm not so, so what I'm still trying to figure out here is, so apparently there's some family drama, some Pittsburgh residential neighborhood family drama thing going on that you guys want to tell me about. But I'm just, I'm wondering. And no, you we, don't want to, we don't want to tell you about it. Then what do you want to do? It's, it's, it's a question. Okay, you want to ask me about it, but... Why? Yeah. But why am I the one being consulted about this? Is the question. Because it has to do with this show. Family drama having to do with I this is so weird. She sent you a message. Yeah, she just messaged you. Okay, I, I'm Private so curious about it. It's so weird. It's like a the missing link. It is link weird. Here. Everything we do is weird. We're like we're, we're they want to oh yeah they want to run a train on dress you idiot that's what someone said. Let's see. Not the only messages I got is saying where you live, but. Not anything. from where I live. Yeah, she said what city you live in, but that's mm-hmm. like all I'm getting from her. From Josie. Where'd she send the message? Where'd you send the message? I put it right here, and like when he when he said 
Um, when when you said hi, she responded back. I live in Oakdale, same place near Josie. Huh? Here, hold on. I will put the celebrity. She will now speak. She is back on air. Hold on. <laughs> hold on. I was just, hold on. Let me shoot some more Vicodin down her throat. Hold on. Open up. Open up. Boom. Hold on. I liquefied them and just shot, shot them down her throat. She's ready dressed here. She had to get them in her system. I'm so confused about what's going on here. I'm so confused. Uh I'm so confused. He's confused. Hold on. So why want to address this on air? Slipper Fair, you want Jen to Skype you? I'll kill you. I thought that we were exclusive. (laughs) Josie. So, Josie, what's going on here? I'm confused. What's happening? Well, I mean, I sent you a message. Where? I put it. I responded. Did you see it? Um, oh, I see. Don't read it out. No, loud. I'm not going to read it out loud. But so, uh, when you when you say that, do you, do you want me to just, like say at this moment or just in general? Like, is it a hard thing to? In general, you ask, did you did you see that? Uh, this is a hard thing to determine. So, I thought, you, dude, you can tell because you always know if like Tom's at my house or if he's calling. No, but that's only if I look, that's only if I like look into this. I have to look into specific people. That's I can't just like be asked a question. Is such and such person here? Like, it's not like that. Okay, and so, and so I would have to know the screen name, and I would have no idea. Or or the IP address. If you if you get the IP address of that person, I can look it up. Okay, I think I could get the IP address. All right, then I'm just gonna. I could probably find that out. Like, if, you, if you go on their computer, you can go to you can go to whatsmyip.org. Whatsmyip.org. I'd have to be at the house. We, so we, yeah, well, where, whatever we, whatever computer you're looking for, yeah. Okay, and then you'll be able to tell me if uh, if they were ever on or like if they were on during the radio show and shit like that. Yeah. Okay. So how are you? Have you missed me at all? Yeah, I was surprised. I saw you on here. I'm like, wow, Josie, I haven't seen her in such a long time. Has Tom been on? I haven't talked to him. You know, he disappeared for such a long time. It was so weird because bad guy disappeared for months, Mm -hmm. and I don't know why. And while the Pittsburgh Pirates were doing so well, and I knew he would have shown up to rub this in my face, he was nowhere to be found. He never even bets on the Pirates. He he always bets against them and loses. Well, I don't know, but but he was always portraying himself as a big Pirates fan, and he was just gone until right around when the playoffs began, which is very unlike him. And then he reappeared for a short time and disappeared again. I don't think Cammy allows him on the radio. I don't think she likes him to get on the radio show. You, you know he had, they had another baby, right? <laughs> wait, wait a minute. So, wait, so <laughs> when did they have another baby? Okay, so they have so he has four children now. He has our nineteen year old, he has that thirteen or fourteen year old girl, then they have a three year old, then they have a one year old. Wow. And she got pregnant again. I think they're trying for another one. I think he wants why, another boy. Why does he keep trying for so many kids when he can't afford them? I don't get this. Well, Joe, I mean, it's because he's highly sought after. I mean, it's I mean, he's he's a he's a very prime specimen in this area. He's the king of uh, residential Pittsburgh. <laughs> yes, a lot of people want him to father their children. He's like he's a he's a prize. You know what I mean? Like it's there's a, there's a lot of qualities he possesses that people want to replicate. Hmm. Well, yeah, he's been successful so far. He is. 
he has populated his yeah. his seat has yeah, been spread. Yeah, he's, he's definitely well. uh, yeah. he's definitely going to live on throughout the generations. <laughs> see, I don't Are have that you much chance. Have any more kids? No, see, I don't know. Like, I only have one kid, so I like that. That could be it. If Ben doesn't have any kids or something like that, then I'm just done. Then my I, like, isn't it sad? People who should procreate don't. That's <laughs> like they, they just only have one, and then people who should be like spayed or neutered just keep spewing the earth with their offspring. Well, maybe I should just go around and get some other girls pregnant. Maybe that's the solution. I think you. I think you should. You and I could discuss that offline. <laughs> that's the next thing you want to talk about with me. Okay. All right. That well, was the, yeah. That's the second part of it. Okay, so I, I think that I have a feeling that the people listening to this show for the poker content are probably furious right now that we've uh, spent no, so much they, time. No, let me tell you something. Nobody listens for the fucking poker. When you talk about the poker content, I I turn up my Pandora roll out. This is well, the I, shit they. Well, I know. Hear. You know what? Uh, um, I, I bet the Mark Hoke show. I bet they don't have that on here. Like I bet Mark Hoke does not have someone from Pittsburgh calling in talking about. Uh, <laughs> Their ex-boyfriend and the illegitimate kids he fathered. Like, that's not part of the Mark Hoke show. Or, or the two, I don't even know who the fuck that is. Or, or the like 2 plus 2 poker cast. Like, this stuff does not happen. Like, Adam Schwartz, he does not have this on his show. He'll The most Adam who Schwartz will do... Who are people that want me to be on their, on their site? What were they called? Oh, that was Scats. Yeah, they were trying to uh, steal you. I bet they want this shit on their Yeah, but, they, no, they, but they, don't have a, they don't have a radio punk. show, though. They, they don't have that. Oh. Uh, Woman, I might start my own if you don't want to talk about this shit. <laughs> All right, listen, Jeff, seriously. I, so I will send you the IP address of what I need for that, and then yeah. we can talk about uh, furthering your offspring. Yeah, okay. Uh, you're, you know, I, I'm going to help you expand your flock. All right, I'll talk All to you All right, later. go ahead. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye. That was Josie. You never know what's going to happen on this show. Josie and her cousin. You meet new people every day. All right, so uh, let's let's see what I was going to talk about next. I've, I've got completely just derailed by this. Let's go back here. Uh, where are we? Joe McKeon won the World Series of Poker. It's over. He won the main event. Prize money wasn't as much this year because they flattened out the pay structure. I think he wins like seven and a half million. I, I I didn't, I don't remember. But Joe McKeon went in with a very large chip lead over the other eight opponents at the final table, and he never came close to giving it up. Like he just started way ahead and kept gaining, gaining, gaining. Everybody else kind of stayed the same or or declined. So he was dominating the entire way. He was that guy at the table who always has a mountain of chips and just it just keeps growing while everyone else keeps busting. And like the best you do is break even when a guy is at the table like that. So that's that's basically what happened is that even the guy who finished second was never even close and he never really got going. He just was the last one to get eliminated. So there were some debates as always. Like there's always these armchair World Series final tableists that watch and then criticize. And some of them are even good players. But I don't like doing that, unless it's like really, really outrageously bad. I don't like criticizing play on a stage like the World Series of Poker final table because it is so hard. It's so stressful to be there. And you don't know how stressful it is until you're actually there. 
There is so much money involved with each decision that, and of course you're on a major stage too where uh, you know every move you make is going to be broadcasted on TV. So there's so much pressure there and you're not going to play optimal poker typically under those circumstances. So I can understand when people play too tight or when people make suboptimal decisions, whatever. So there's always debate that breaks out on Twitter when these final tables are watched at the World Series of Poker main event. But uh, Joe McKeon was well-respected this time. People thought he played well. It was also acknowledged that he ran extremely well. So he really had everything going for him. He came in with a big stack. He continued to get excellent cards. Like the the four-month break in between didn't stop him. It didn't break the momentum whatsoever. He just kept dominating. And he also played well. He also didn't let the pressure get to him. So (laughs) that equaled a very easy title for Joe McKeon at the... 2015 World Series of Poker. Now, I haven't seen it yet, but people are saying that he's done some TV interviews since then and seems uncomfortable being on TV, that he's just not really... He's not really ready to be the ambassador for poker. He's not really ready to promote the game or be a big personality or be really interesting. That he seems just kind of like... He wants to just be off camera and play poker, which is fine. I'm not criticizing that. I'm just saying that uh, anybody who's ready for the next Daniel Negreanu or Phil Helmuth to come out of this. Don't expect that. But of course that could be said about most of the World Series champions we've had. But he did very well. He, most people didn't really think much about Joe McKeon coming into this year, even though he had some good results coming in, but he wasn't really thought about that much, but he really distinguished himself in this tournament. This is just one where things just never went wrong for him. Jamie Gold had a similar situation. I I hate to say this about Joe McKeon, who otherwise seems nothing like Jamie Gold, but Jamie Gold nine years ago is very similar. It just started going well for him early and never turned around. And he he played the big stack he had well. And the biggest factor was he ran so well. He got in the perfect spot time and time again. Jamie Gold, what was really amazing about him was that he got in situations where there'd be like a big draw against him all in, where there'd be so many cards that could come and beat him, and then blank on the turn, blank on the river, he wins. Next time, blank on the turn, blank on the river, he wins. Like over and over and over again, no one could put a bad beat on him. The only one I saw put a bad beat on Jamie Gold the entire World Series was Brian Mikon, of all people, who uh, hit a set on him all in. That is, after they were all in, Brian hit the set. That was the year Mikon finished 63rd, which was his best finish to date. But uh, back to Joe McKeon. Uh, at least there's nothing I've really heard about him that's bad. He's a young guy. He's 24 years old. Honestly, he looks a bit older than that to me. Maybe it's the facial hair, but he looks older than 24. But another young champion, it always seems to be the young guys. They seem to have the best temperament, I think, for these tournaments because I I think they are more willing to be aggressive 
I think that they have more energy as far as not getting worn down with the tournament grind. I think that they have the time to sit and grind online and play massive numbers of tournaments to where they get so much experience it's hard to beat them. So it, it always seems to be the young guys these days. That's that's who like you don't want at your table. Like when you're sitting down to a World Series event, what you're hoping to see is a bunch of uh, middle-aged and older guys, or even better, middle-aged or older women. But what you don't want to see is the 20-something-year-old guy at your table. Like, what I really hate the most to see at my table, knowing nothing else about people and knowing, not knowing them personally, what I don't want to see is a 20-something-year-old white guy. That immediately makes me afraid that I'm with a good player. Because so many of them are. And it's kind of strange to think about because I'm so much older than they are now. So I, I think about like Joe McKeon, for example, uh, when I was 19 and in college, he was born. So I could be his dad. So it's strange to think about people that much younger than me who are now so successful at poker and such good players and winning the main event of the World Series, but they are. So good for him. He did a great job. Yeah, he got lucky, but he took that luck and made the most of it. 775-FRAUD55, 775-372-8355. This is from the chat room from Josie. She says, I'll be back in like 10. I have Jen's twins moving the penis ice sculpture so they can pour the shots down the shaft from an elevated chair. I have no idea what she's talking about. No idea. Let's see what people are texting me. I see texts are coming in. For the 440 area code, I bet Josie wants your Vicodin. From the 505 area, Daily Fantasy Sports just gave Adelson, that is Sheldon Adelson, more ammunition. From the 510, who's the better tournament player? You, McKeon, Helmuth, or Ivy? Well, it's definitely not me, but McKeon, Ivy, or Helmuth? It depends what tournament. I, I think I'd still take uh, Helmuth or Ivy. Though Joe McKeon, did, he really did well, but he, he's still kind of new. He's not totally proven yet. Where Phil Helmuth has so many bracelets, it's uh, obviously he's very good at these, and Ivy is Ivy. He's asking, have you ever played against... Tom Dwan in a cash game. Yeah, I have, but very, very early on when he was a different player pretty much and uh, wasn't famous. I've told this story before that Tom Dwan, before he was famous, uh, he came up to me at a karaoke place and said, oh, wow, Dan Druff, I've always wanted to meet you. And he was like excited to meet me. It wasn't the reverse. He, he, it wasn't I was excited to meet Tom Dwan. He was excited to meet me because I was like the, the bigger name to him at the time. So that was my... I think that's the only time I met him, too. In the 410 area. It says, great show so far. Tell Josie to get back on Facebook. I think she is on Facebook, so you're probably blocked. <laughs> when someone just like disappears from Facebook, they've usually blocked you. That's the good rule of thumb. From the 480, greeting 
Greetings, 42, almost, white guy in Arizona. I guess I'm the target audience. My girlfriend was laughing about your white guys in 30 to 55 comment. Yeah, because it's true. All right, so... I'm glad that Josie and her cousin called in because we've been light on calls today for whatever reason. Let's take a look at what our ratings are right now so I can depress myself. Yeah, they're, they're kind of mediocre today. Actually, the only good thing is right now we're at our peak. Like right now we're, we have the highest ratings right at this moment than we've had all day. So I guess Josie's bringing the hits. But still, they're lower than the Tuesday ratings. I, I think we should move to Tuesday or Wednesday. This Thursday thing's just not really working out. All right. Bitcoin. Bitcoin has crashed again. Bitcoin on our last show had already crashed from 500 to 400 after an initial run-up that took it all the way from the twos, the 200s that is, to 499. Then it quickly crashed back down to 400 and that's where we were on the last show. Currently, as I am doing this show, Bitcoin sits at $339. So that's a far cry from 400 So it had another crash between last week and this week where it abruptly fell from the high 300s all the way down to about exactly 300 Then it rose up again to about 325 then crashed again to like 294 and then it popped back, and today it's had a bit of a recovery. So that's why we're near 340. Someone mentioned to me that since Bitcoin has been up for a while since it was in the twos, that doesn't this count as stabilizing higher than where it was before? Because I've been saying that since May of 2014, which is 18 months ago, that Bitcoin has never stabilized higher than where it was before. That it's hopped up and down, but whenever it would stabilize and stay at the same level for a while, it was always lower than where it had previously stabilized. So someone is saying, well, now, look, it is. It's, it's stabilizing higher than where it was. But no, it, it has not because it's not stabilized right now. Right now, it's still jumping all over the place. When I say stabilized, I mean when an extended period of time passes when Bitcoin does not jump up or down very much. And we're just not there. We haven't been there since it started that run-up, since it went all the way up to almost 500, since it's crashed back down twice. So I still believe that when Bitcoin is done with all the variance that's going on right now, it's going to stabilize lower than where it was before. Where it was before, it was like around the 230 range. I I think it's going to stabilize lower than that. I think when this is all done, we're going to have another crash, the crash will probably take it below 200. Maybe it'll take two crashes to get there, but there will be two crashes sometime soon that take it below 200. Then it'll pop back up and land at 210 or something. That's, that's where I think we're going to see it. We just have not had a single stabilized period that's higher than the previous stabilized period. Maybe it'll finally stop. Maybe we'll finally have a stabilized period where it's higher than before, but I don't think so. It always seems to self-correct any gains it gets and then corrects further. And I think there's a reason for that. I think it's because whatever makes it run up gets people temporarily excited again 
and people buy in, then it crashes, then people lose money again, and people are upset, and people are like, ah, screw this, screw Bitcoin, you know, I'm, I'm so tired of this crap, I'm so tired of it going up and down, I'm so tired of always buying in at the wrong point, I'm so tired of buying in when it starts to go up, and then I it ends up finishing lower than where I bought in. And people get disillusioned. I think this volatility is driving people away. So when it goes up and teases people and then crashes back down, it's volatility and it it makes people unhappy. And people leave Bitcoin and the price goes down and then stabilizes lower. I think every one of these makes people feel worse about Bitcoin overall. And every time we have these run-ups, we have people saying, oh, there it is. This is the time. Bitcoin's, it's blowing up this time. This time it's for real. I saw people saying that this time when it rocketed up to 500, that this time it's for real. This time Bitcoin's really taken off. People finally understand what it's about. This is going to be the big Bitcoin revolution now. No. Less than two weeks ago, it was at 500. We're at 338. That is not a revolution. If you are going to buy Bitcoin, never do so when it's rocketing up. Because you never know when it's going to be the peak. And once the peak hits, then it's going to crash. If you are going to buy Bitcoin and speculate with it, I would suggest you do so when it breaches some kind of round number where it hasn't been in a long time. So like uh, when it goes below 300, when it goes below 200, things like that. If it ever goes below 100, I think it's a good time to buy. And then it'll pop back up and then you sell it for a profit. That's, that's when I think uh, it's the best time to buy. Don't buy when it's tempting, when it's rocketing up in value. I bet some of you were tempted to buy in when you saw it at like 430, 440, 450. And then if you didn't buy and saw it up to 500, I bet you felt foolish for a moment, didn't you? And now how do you feel for not buying in when it was 430 or 440? So... Josie saying in chat, I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna invest in Bitcoin. That's a great idea. I mean, I, I guess it's better than buying Vicodin. All right, let's see what else we got here. A Vegas betting expert, and I have to put that in quotes because he's not really a betting expert. None of these guys really are. If you're a betting expert, you just bet and win. You don't sell your picks. But a Las Vegas so-called betting expert has been sentenced for an illegal gambling operation. This is from the Las Vegas Review-Journal. A Las Vegas betting expert was sentenced Thursday to 18 months in federal prison for running an illegal gambling operation hiding money from the IRS. Tony Chow, 32, a Vietnamese immigrant who marketed an online wagering system to customers across the country, also was ordered to pay $567,571 in restitution to the IRS and forfeit another $1.4 million to the U.S. government. 
U.S. District Judge Richard Bulware also told Chow he would have to serve 200 hours of community service and stay out of the gambling business during three years of of supervised release after prison. What what kind of community service do you think he's going to be doing if he's running like a a betting tout system where he's uh, telling you how to bet? What kind of community service is he going to do? Hang out at sports books and tell you which games he likes? So he used to go under the alias Jim Morrison. Come on, that's <laughs> if there's a guy calling himself Jim Morrison, do you really want to take sports betting advice from him? I mean, seriously, that's a dumb name. Especially a and a Vietnamese guy named Tony Chow is Jim Morrison. Like you can't be less Jim Morrison than that. Anyway, he went under Jim Morrison and ran two sites. About one year ago, he was shut down by the FBI for false claims and some other misleading uh, things he was doing. So uh, then he had to tell all of his customers who he really was, and he wasn't. Yeah, he had to give his real name and explain everything, and he was back in business. Uh, the first site he had was called sportsbettingchamp.com. And that has been seized by federal authorities. If you go to sportsbettingchamp.com, you get that all-too-familiar Department of Justice page. Try it right now, sportsbettingchamp.com. It says that the Homeland Security Investigations Denver office has seized the site. He sold what was known as betting systems, and most of these were Martingale-type bets. What a martingale bet is, for those of you that don't know, it's a system that sounds like it's good, but it actually isn't. It's to double your bet every time you lose. And then if you do that, then eventually, once you win, you've recovered everything you lost. So let me give you an example. Let's say you make a bet with me and you lose a dollar. We bet a dollar, you lose. So you say, okay, let's bet $2 next. We bet $2, you lose. Let's say now you, then you bet double to four. Okay, let's bet $4. You bet $4, you lose. So now you're down $7. 1 plus 2 plus 4. So now you double again to 8. Well, this time you win. So now you've just won 8 off of me. You lost 7 previously, and you are up your original bet, a dollar. So the Martingale system says you just keep doubling your bet over and over, and once you win once, you've wiped out all the other losses, and you start back over at your original bet. And that sounds like a genius thing to do, except... Eventually, you will have such a terrible streak where you will lose all your money. Eventually, it will catch up with you. So, if you had a literally infinite bankroll, and if you were to be up against someone or something that also had an infinite bankroll and would keep letting you raise the limits, yes, this would be a good system because you you could guarantee yourself that at some point, you will always recover your money. But because nobody has an infinite bankroll, nor do they have an opponent with an infinite bankroll, and because you will have these improbable streaks occur every so often, that will wipe you out. By the way, the reason they have upper limits at tables in Vegas is exactly to prevent this. That's why you'll see a table limit from like three to 500 or 10 to 1,000 or 100 to 5,000. That's the reason they have the upper limit, because they, they don't want you martingaling them. 
They put this limit to where if you try that, you'll just bump against the upper limit when you have a bad run, and that's it. So he was basically selling the equivalent of a martingale system where you just keep raising your bet over and over. And that was basically what he was selling people. The other funny thing was he was claiming that he always had a winning record because he wasn't counting uh, the bets he would lose in the meantime. So what he, what he would do is he would be like Martin Galing and saying, okay, well, here's what your record would have been if you did what I said. So you bet you know, first, second, third, fourth. Okay, we won the fifth time. Okay, so now we're up. So... He would only count losses up to the big winning one as a single loss, and he gave himself a very misleading record with his sports betting. So the whole thing was BS, Bottom the bottom line. The, the second one he's running is more standard, but it's called PicksBuffet.com. The reason he calls it PicksBuffet is that uh, he claims to be buying sports betting picks from top handicappers and then selects the top few that the, quote, experts agreed upon. And he claimed uh, that uh, this is going to be a way to win big, and uh, supposedly his NFL picks the previous year were won about 65% of the time. I don't know if that's really true. But you can easily do that in one year from just luck because the NFL doesn't have that many games. It's not like betting baseball the whole year every day and winning 65%. Like, no one can do that. But NFL, there's not that many games. So, yeah, you can easily win 65% just by being lucky. You could flip coins to make your picks and win 65%. Picks Buffet is still up. It says... Gain access to expert picks of up to hundreds of sports handicappers for less than the price of one. I'll spend the money to gain access to picks from up to hundreds of world-class sports handicappers throughout the year. Each morning, I will compile together all the day's expert sports picks and email them to you along with the best bets of the day summary so you don't have to spend a dime to get the same service that could normally otherwise potentially cost you up to tens of thousands of dollars. What a deal. So I don't even know if he's even really buying these. He could just be making them up. That's the problem. You don't know. He just says, this is the consensus, and you have to believe him. But even if he is subscribing to a number of sports betting uh, pick services, I mean, so what if some of them agree? That doesn't mean that they're winning. It just means they agree. You can have a lot of times where the public agrees and heavily backs one side or the other, and then the other side is what ends up winning. So he was running this, and now he's been sentenced for an illegal gambling operation. He should have gotten that same lawyer that Mikon got to represent him. That would have gotten him off. That's uh, Chesnoff and Schoenfeld. Someone in the forum said he used to direct the customers to offshore sports books that he had special affiliate deals with. And then they would be offered a separate line set that shaded heavily against 
the side that he's telling you to pick. So, for example, if the Kansas City Royals were plus 120, meaning you win 120 for betting 100, uh, then this site would give you Royals minus 150, where you'd have to bet 150 to win 100. So that was like a scam. But uh, apparently he had a lot of idiot devotees who just thought he was the greatest. And anyway, this guy's really shady. In fact, seeing that he would have these deals with these shady sports books where they would purposely make the line much worse to whoever's betting on the picks he would make, I have to think that this picks buffet thing is BS and he's not buying picks from anyone. He's just making them up. So it was funny is that I guess there was also a story about how people realized what they were doing with altering the lines of the games he would suggest. So people would sign up with his service and then would go up through his affiliate link to those shady sports books. But then instead of betting on the side of his picks, he'd, they'd bet the other side and then they'd clean up because they'd be getting a line that's much, much better than they should have gotten. For example, if the Royals were plus 120, then whatever team they were playing should have been like minus 130. But if it was altered to be Royals minus 150, they were probably getting like plus 130 on the opponents. They should have been cleaning up. And so uh, someone said they did this, and the online sports book caught on very quickly what was going on and banned him. (laughs) That's the problem. You're not going to get over on these books because they're just going to ban you and not pay you. Because they're shady in the first place. What are you going to do about it? Nothing. All right. So... Thanks to Matt the Rat, by the way, for bringing that story to us. Speaking of Canadians, which Matt the Rat is, sports betting may be coming to Canada. Which, if it happens, will be interesting because you can't sports bet anywhere legally in in North America except for the state of Nevada. That's it. You can't even do it in Atlantic City. So Canada's parliament will be taking a look at sports betting legislation pretty soon. And uh, a previous bill was attempted to pass but uh, ended up in gridlock and uh, did not pass. Bill C-290 would amend Canada's criminal code regarding sports betting and it would allow single event wagering that means just betting on single games I meaning you can't do parlays or any crap like that but you can just say i'm betting on this game such and such team i bet them to win whatever just straightforward single event wagering will be allowed and this will be returning to parliament in canada for consideration very soon Officials for Canada's New Democratic Party, or New Democrat Party, have confirmed that they will be reintroducing the bill. It passed the House of Commons in Canada in 2012, but uh, did not get its necessary formal hearings in the House of Lords for three years. I don't even know much about this stuff. 
like the House of Commons and House of Lords, is that like uh, the House and the Senate in the U.S.? The House of Lords. It's so strange. I, I guess it's a European system. Anyway, it, it expired in August, or last August. So uh, they, they they need approval in both houses for any bill to pass. So it has to happen in both the House of Commons and the House of Lords. So it got past the Commons, it did not get past the Lords. So Canada's Conservative Party, they only control 29% of the House of Commons, but in the House of Lords, they have uh, over 40%. So many of them are against allowing sports betting, and that may be the challenge, again, in getting it passed through the House of Lords. That seems to be the big issue here. If it does get past the House of Lords, then sports get, sports betting in Canada looks like a real possibility. You can actually do what's known as parlay betting in Canada through the lotto. But uh, but single game betting is is not uh, allowed right now. So they're looking to make single game betting legal. Also, there's questions about how the major sports organizations are going to like this. Will the NBA, the NHL, or Major League Baseball be happy about this? There is no NFL in Canada. There's a CFL for Canada for football, but there's no NFL in Canada. There's no Canadian NFL team. So that's it's not going to affect the NFL, but it would be affecting the uh, NBA, Major League Baseball, and NHL. They all have franchises in Canada. So not many franchises for Baseball and basketball, there's only one each, both in Toronto. But, still, they do have a team. So, in Canada, or I guess the NBA... I guess they, uh, th- this is what uh, Adam Silver said in a New York Times op-ed about, uh, about gambling. Consistent with the NBA's current position regarding legalized sports betting in the U.S., the NBA is no longer opposed to legalized sports betting in Canada so long as there is an appropriate legislative framework that protects the integrity of the game under strict regulatory requirements and technological safeguards. These would include, at a minimum, mandatory monitoring 
and reporting of unusual betting line movements, a licensing protocol for betting operators, minimum age verification measures, geo-blocking technology to ensure betting is available only where it's legal, mechanisms to identify and exclude people with gambling problems, and education about responsible gambling. So the NBA is for this. They want they're okay with the gambling on their games in Canada, even with a team in Toronto. So, we shall see. We shall see if you can eventually bet legally in Canada on sports. Sports betting always seems to be the last thing to be approved in legalized gaming markets because of the fear of corruption, because of the fear of games being thrown, players being bribed, etc., etc. So... Refs being bribed. Harder to bribe players these days because they make so much money anyway. But refs do not. So a lot of fear about that. So that's uh, sports betting in general has just been shunned from most, most places. That's why it only exists in Nevada. Well, guess what? We are finished with our gambling topics. Now we are going to talk about our general topics. If you'd like to call in, now's a good time to do so. 775-FRAUD55. 775-372-8355. You can also text that number. 702-430-1808. You cannot text that number, but you can call it. It's the Mount Charleston line. From the 410... Um, I don't know if that's meant to be read, so I won't read it. I'll be nice. Here's from the 510. Do you still play Limit Hold'em? Uh, he's, it's the same guy from, uh, the Oakland area. He says, I'm just a black dude from Fremont, a.k.a. the Burbs. Lakers are hot garbage. Go Dubs. Fan since Tim Hardaway and Chris Mullen. So I think he's a fan of uh, the Golden State Warriors, who are very good. Looks like I, th- I'm th- I think they got to win again this year. I think they're just by far the best team. Says tell them chicks they cray and go to sleep. And McKeon needs to groom himself with all them millions. That's funny. Random question, is there a relationship between kids today not getting spanked and school shootings? I bet Donald Trump didn't get spanked. <laughs> That's a strange thing to think about. I don't know, but it's true. They uh, Spanking has been definitely on the decrease over the past uh, 20 years. It's uh, considered less and less to to be an appropriate way to discipline your children, spanking. And he's asking, do you think the school shootings have to do with that? I, I don't think it has to do with that. I think the school shootings are occurring because the crazies that commit them have the idea to do it, or before no one really thought of it. But after the Columbine thing, now everyone wants to be like them. And in fact, a lot of the school shooters actually say that they're trying to be like the Columbine shooters. So... They all kind of copy each other. I think that's why it's been happening. Whereas in 
the days prior to the late 90s, this was very uncommon. I do think that uh, the fact that kids don't get spanked very much anymore has led to an increase on how they talk to their parents disrespectfully. You see kids speaking to their parents nowadays that you would have never imagined speaking to your parents in that way. So... Whether you you choose to spank your kids or not, you you should never let your kids speak disrespectfully to you or treat you disrespectfully. That just should never be allowed at all. And there should always be some kind of consequence, even if you don't want it to be a physical one. All right, so let's talk about what happened in Missouri at the University of Missouri. This is an interesting story. Um, I'm going to play a clip and part of the reason I'm going to do this, I'll be honest, is so I can go get some more water, (laughs) but I'm going to play a clip describing the situation because if I just play the actual video of what happened, it won't tell you that much because you can't see it over the radio. I mean, there's a good chance you saw it anyway, but if you haven't, it's not going to be very meaningful because most of it is visual. But I'm going to play you something that I think describes the situation pretty well. If I can, here it is. Okay, so this one made my blood boil. It starts with the uh, Concerned Students 1950. We'll come back to who they are later. And this little protest village made up of tents, kind of like Occupy Wall Street. And so there was this student reporter taking pictures of the protest. You know, like a good, honest, ethnic minority Asian member of the media. What is so hard about respecting our Because I have a job to do. Yeah. He's just trying to do his job. Well, actually, yeah, if they've got a right to set up this little village of tents, damn street, he's got the right to take pictures of it, too. You think it's funny? I have a job to do. I'm documenting this for a national news Yes, I can. This is a First Amendment that protects your right to stand here, protects mine. They didn't seem to think so, though. And what follows is one of the most obnoxious displays of behavior I've seen, where students, the intellectual future of the country, basically push him away, all the time saying, in a most disingenuous fashion, stop pushing me. And this is our friend. Our friend's life was on the line. We're asking you to respect that. And I'm trying to document that for history. The whole thing an element of that woman a ways back who deliberately comes and pushes her breasts up against a man, screams at him to stop touching her breasts, and then pushes him off a ledge. (laughs) 
Okay, so at this point in the video, they start to make comparisons to some other videos from the past. I don't really even know why they did that, but I think the guy described it pretty well in the first two minutes. This was a situation where at the University of Missouri, there were allegations of racism. And first off, the allegations were really strange because... They centered around single incidents that don't necessarily mean that there's a problem with racism at the school. There there seems like two incidents which were probably the work of just some crazy individuals. And when you have like two crazy individuals doing stupid things, you don't say it's an institution-wide problem. You just say you have some idiots, you have some crazies. But somehow this was taken to be seen as if it were an institution-wide problem of racism. One of them, of all things, was the accusation that a swastika was left in the dorms, and the swastika was made of feces. (laughs) Which is is really weird. Uh, (laughs) If you're going to leave a swastika somewhere to intimidate someone... Uh, why do it in feces? Why not just write it on the wall with a pen? <laughs> Who would do that? Who would, like, put their hand in shit to make a swastika on the wall? It's really weird. So so obviously whoever did that is uh, is just some nut job. It really happened, but it was some nut job. It's not indicative of racism on... Uh, on a high level at the school. But for whatever reason, the students there believe that. They believe that and and other incidents which may or may not have occurred there at the school were indicative of uh, institutionalized racism. Someone else claimed that a red truck drove by and shouted the N-word. A, uh, a, the student body president who's named Peyton Head, who's a gay black man. By the way, how funny is it that the a gay man is named Head? <laughs> I mean, that's, that almost sounds fake. Peyton Head, a gay black man. But he's the student body president at the University of Missouri. And uh, he claims that People drove by in a red truck and called them the N-word. But where was this red truck? Was it on the campus of University of Missouri? Were these students who yelled the N-word at him? No, this was off campus. (laughs) So I'm not sure how this is an incident that has to do with the school, but somehow he believes it does. So between that and the swastika of feces, which has been called the the poopstika, that somehow this is indicative of institutionalized racism on campus, which is crazy. That's crazy by itself, but it got even worse. So basically, this started up a whole shitstorm, literally and figuratively, of protests which extended to the football team 
and the football team at Missouri said that they're not going to play unless the university of uh, the university president resigns which is crazy supposedly it was his fault for not stopping this so the football team was boycotting the next game that was to be coming up on sunday and if the football team did not show up then they would be fined as according to a contract they have uh, for a rather large sum of money or uh, more specifically, a million dollars. I don't have the sound effect. I was going to play Dr. Evil. I don't have the sound effect ready. I knew I was forgetting the sound effect. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this is, uh, they they were demanding that resignations come. As a result of these incidents, which is really weird. And these protests got more and more serious. As, oh, why is this crap going to the- on? Jeez. Jeez. So they wanted uh, University President Tim Wolf to resign. And he ended up doing so. Tim Wolf resigned, and Chancellor R. Bowen Lofton also resigned. These resignations occurred after a supposedly brave student named Jonathan Butler decided that he's going to go on a hunger strike until these resignations happen. So let's review here. You have incidents on campus, one of which may have never even occurred, the thing with the red truck, but that wasn't even on campus. And then you have this poop swastika on campus that was definitely the work of just some freak, but no real indications that there's any kind of institutionalized racism on campus. In fact, the fact, the fact that a gay black man was elected student body president should be pretty indicative that this is a pretty tolerant place because a, a place that's full of racism and homophobia and whatever else would not have elected a gay black man as student body president. But there started, there, there were more and more protests. Students set up an encampment in the quad of uh, University of Missouri to protest. As I said, this Jonathan Butler is doing a hunger strike until finally the university president and chancellor both resigned. But this really hit the popular view. This really was brought to everyone's attention because of a video that surfaced when the media attempted to cover it. And I will go on to play, let's see, should I play the remainder of this? Well, I'm going to play the end of this raw video, which was filmed. So basically the media came there 
and wanted to film the protest. They were not coming there in a hostile way. They weren't coming there to make the students look stupid. They, in fact, they were invited there by the protesters. The protesters called themselves Concerned Student 1950. And that was in reference to 1950 was the year that they started accepting blacks to that university. So Concerned Student 1950 was the name of the protest. And in fact, all the protesters just called themselves Concerned Student 1950. So there were two different incidents that occurred. Most of this occurred to a Asian reporter named Tim Tai, who was only 22 years old, that went to take pictures of it. And also uh, another reporter who had a, a video camera there who was videoing the whole thing, including all the students harassing Tim Tai and not letting him take pictures. Basically, the students took the position that this was a media, a no media safe space, that in a public area, in a public university, that the media was not allowed. (laughs) They, They thought they could just slap up a sign that says safe space, and that means the media can't come there. Doesn't matter what the First Amendment says, doesn't matter that the rights that they have to be there to protest in a public place is the same rights that gives the media to be there. It didn't matter. They decided they had a right to public property and the media did not. That they want to protest in public, but they don't want the media to take pictures of it. Make any sense? It doesn't to me either. But that's what they did. Now, you can understand students being this stupid because college students do and say a lot of stupid things. But what was really strange is that it got far beyond just the students that the faculty and the administration also was involved, including involved in harassing the media. So there were uh, two people who were involved in hassling the media there. And not just hassling, but physically pushing them away and encouraging others to physically force the media away. One of them was a woman named Jana Basler, who when she was asked what her name was, she said, my name is Concerned Student 1950, but her real name is Jana Basler. She's an administrator at the college for the Greek system. She deals with the Greek system there and makes $67,000 a year. Even worse, near the end of the video is an assistant professor whose name is Melissa Click. Of all things, she is a communications professor with a courtesy title in journalism. (laughs) How can someone who is a communications professor and has received a courtesy appointment to the journalism school believe that the media does not have a right to be there in a public place filming a public protest? But somehow she thought that was not allowed. But it was worse than just saying it was not allowed. She tried to physically grab the guy's camera and call for some people, presumably big men, to come over and uh, force these cameramen away. So I'm going to play you this little part of it here. Let me get to the right portion of this video here. Let me get to it. Near the end of the six-minute video. Here we are. So So the cameraman, the one who's been videoing, gets kind of through the human wall that's preventing anyone from getting over there to film it. He gets, he kind of breaches it 
and runs into this professor. And then he encounters this woman. I have an idea. Can I talk to you? No, you need to get out. You need to get out. No, I don't. You need to get out. I actually don't. All right. Hey, who wants to help me get this reporter out of here? I need some muscle over here. I need some muscle over here. That's become famous over the last week. That one line, I need some muscle over here. This is a 44-year-old. She looks a lot older, by the way. But 44-year-old professor, assistant professor at University of Missouri named Melissa Click. I need some muscle over here to remove a reporter who's taking pictures of a public protest. I don't know how a professor in communications could think this is okay. I need some muscle, she's saying. She wants some strong people, physically strong people to come over here and physically remove the guy taking these pictures. Because she knew she couldn't do it herself. She knew that you know, she is a you know, small woman, couldn't go pick this dude up and remove him. So she's calling for some muscle over here to get this reporter out. How can these people stay employed? I mean, I know how. Because there's very lack standards provided at these universities as far as uh, the behavior of administrators and faculty except when it comes to politically incorrect issues then you get fired very quickly but something like this there's a lot of leeway you're granted you shouldn't be but there is she's not even tenured by the way she's only an assistant professor you're not a tenured professor until you're associate But she has not been fired, nor has Jenna Basler, who helped create a human wall that pushed this Asian reporter away. They kind of rolled over him. They, you know, they just kept moving forward. Jenna Basler was like the leader of the whole thing, and they were just uh, moving forward, pushing him away. He wants to go take a picture. They create a big wall of people blocking him, and then the wall of people keeps walking. And they're like, "What? What? We have a we have a right to keep walking." We can keep walk. We can walk. We can walk, right? So they just keep walking right over him. He has to back up, or I'll be trampled. So that's not. The, yeah, that's they don't have a right to do that. So there's been called to fire both of these people, but neither has been fired. She resigned her position at the journalism school after she was under a lot of pressure to do so and they were thinking of dropping that anyway but that's just like a courtesy title that doesn't really mean anything she still has her main job that's like a side thing she had so let's talk about this Melissa Click a little bit And uh, and her profile. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny if you take a look at her profile at the university. And uh, and by the way, Melissa Click actually had been asking on Facebook days beforehand for the media to come down there. She wanted them to cover this, but for whatever reason, she changed her mind. Let me get to the profile here of. Uh, Melissa Click. 
Here it is. It says, Dr. Melissa A. Click earned her Ph.D. from the Department of Communications from the University of Massachusetts in Amherst. Her research interests center in popular culture texts and audiences, particularly texts and audiences disdained in mainstream culture. Well, that's appropriate because she's now disdained in mainstream culture, so that's a good major. (laughs) Her work in this area is guided by audience studies, theories of gender and sexuality, and media literacy. She needs media literacy. She she apparently doesn't know that media can be in public reporting on public events. Current research projects inc- involve Fifty Shades of Grey readers, the impact of social media and fans' relationships with Lady Gaga. What the hell? Uh, masculinity and male fans. Messages about class and food. In reality television programming (laughs) What? (laughs) Oh, and messages about work In children's television programs So Okay, she's Researching Fifty Shades of Grey It's a weird topic to research Uh, the impact of social media and fans' relationship with Lady Gaga. Have we really gotten to that? Are there really that few topics to research anymore where you're you're having PhD, you know, you have professors researching social media and how it involves Lady Gaga? Like how fans on social media interact with Lady Gaga? Is that really now a research topic at, in academia? What, what exactly is... How's the public being served by that? You know, she is a professor being paid with tax dollars. How is the public's interest being served by her researching social media and the fans' relationship on social media with Lady Gaga? That's really one of her research topics, according to her official profile. Uh, and messages about class and food in reality television programming? Food? What? Messages about food and reality television program It's so weird. It's so random. And messages about work in children's television programs. I I don't think... I see children's television programs all the time because they're on in my house when Benjamin's watching them. He's five years old. I don't see really very much about work at all other than, like, your parents go to work or these are some jobs you can have. Like, there's not really very much discussed in children's television programs about work either way. Like, there's nothing controversial in children's television programs about how they portray work. It's not touched upon very much. But apparently she's researching that too. So, here's some classes she teaches in case you want to have her teach you some things. Communications 4618, Television Program Analysis and Criticism. Communications 4638, New Technologies in Communication. Communications 4975, Visual Literacy. Communications 8150, Seminar in Television Criticism. And Communication 9530, Topics in Mass Communication, Cultural Studies, Audience, and Fans. So that is Melissa Click, and uh, apparently she's married, and her husband was also involved in that crowd that was pushing away the journalists there. 
that hasn't been mentioned very much, but that is true. He, I think he's a religious studies professor at the school. So, what's amazing here is that these students really felt that this was okay. The professor felt this was okay. It seems like everybody protests everything these days without good reason. Now, there are some legitimate things to protest in colleges, but it seems like a lot of these students are protesting for the sake of protesting. They're just looking for anything they can grab that indicates racism, sexism, homophobia, and then they jump on it, and then they demand a consequence, or they demand some kind of uh, conciliatory uh, change. They make demands and you must adhere to their demands or else they're going to continue protesting or boycott football games or whatever. I could understand if they had concrete evidence of institutionalized racism at Missouri, but it looks like they can't even point to that. If the best they can point to is a poop swastika, then it probably doesn't exist. There probably is not institutionalized racism if a poop swastika is what they can point to as evidence that it's there. So what really bothers me is seeing how they basically get away with it. They're not told, okay, you can protest all you want, but nothing we've done nothing wrong. Like like what what did the administrators do wrong there? What what did the university president, what did the chancellor do wrong in this situation? Why should they be fired? Because some psycho does a, a swastika and poop, then they don't catch him? I mean that's that happens. People do things like this and get away with it. People do offensive things like this anonymously and get away with it. But you can't blame anyone except for the person who did it. And if you can't find who did it, then there's no one else to blame. You can't fire the university president over that. And there's also some complaints about the percentage of of black professors that are hired. Believe me, in academia, that's uh, the last thing that's that's really an issue. They, They try very hard in academia to hire as many minority professors as possible and keep in mind this is a complaint coming from the students this is not a complaint coming from uh, a union representing the professors or or a bunch of professors getting together complaining or a bunch of potential professors complaining they weren't being hired from being black no nothing like that just the students decided they don't see enough black professors around they're protesting it that's part of the protest too Now, as I mentioned, Jonathan Butler was one of the biggest protesters in this one. He was on a hunger strike, supposedly. We don't know if he was really eating behind the scenes. No one's watching him all day. But he was claiming he's on a hunger strike until this situation is fixed, until these resignations occur. And I always laughed at hunger strikes because it's basically someone saying, I'm going to harm myself until you do what I want. And if I were on the other end, I'd say, okay, well, if you don't want to eat, don't eat. 
I mean, I don't care if you – you going on a hunger strike does not hurt me. I'm not going to feel bad for you that you're hungry because you're choosing not to eat as a form of protest. If you want to be an idiot and not eat because you're mad, then don't eat. <laughs> Whatever consequence you suffer from that is your own doing. But I guess the hunger strike worked. Not only that, but this, the outgoing chancellor, the one who resigned – actually praised the hunger striker by calling him brave. Can you believe this? This guy goes on a hunger strike. He forces the chancellor and the university president to resign, and then they're praising him on the way out, that he's a brave young man. I mean, is this real? These two administrators here, the, the president and the chancellor, boy, were they ever spineless. They should have stood up to this group and, and just said, look, we've done what we could. Uh, we're going to investigate all situations like this aggressively of any kind of racism that's alleged on campus, but we've we've so far been unable to catch the person behind this, and we're going to keep looking, and sorry, that's, that's all we can do. Not resign. Not resign because some guy goes on a hunger strike and the football team won't play. And you don't want to give the football team that type of power. You don't want to give any group of students the power to boycott something and force your hand. You always hear the phrase, we don't negotiate with terrorists. It should be the same way. Usually the football team, fine. You don't want to play, then you're going to get dropped from the team. We'll, we'll put together a whole new team. Even if the team sucks, we'll put together a whole new team. You'll just be out. and the, you know, that, That'll hurt you. Or fine. If you don't want to drop them, if you don't want to go that far, just let them not play. And again, they hurt themselves. Let them take the loss. A million dollars for not showing up to the game, that sounds like a lot for the school to eat, but for a school of that size, a million dollars is not much. So just pay the damn million dollars and uh, wait till they go play again. They, they won't sit out forever. This will die down. If it doesn't die down at that point, you can drop the whole football team and try to put together a new one if you can as quick as possible. Probably couldn't if the whole team quits, but you know you just don't have a football team. No big deal. You pay a million dollars per game that they can't play, but you don't you don't let them take control. You don't let the inmates run the asylum, and that's what these the president and the chancellor did. I can't believe they resigned like this. They didn't have to. They shouldn't have. They should have stuck to their guns. And if they were going to resign, they should not have praised the people who caused this. But let's get back to this Jonathan Butler. Now, you may think, okay, well, he was fighting for what he believed in. He, as, as a black man there, was feeling oppressed at the University of Missouri. Well, it has come out that this oppressed black man, Jonathan Butler, he is really a victim of white privilege because his family... He comes from a very poor family. Their net worth is only $20 million. (laughs) That's right. The leader of this movement, the hunger striker who feels so oppressed, is from a family with a $20 million net worth. He's been in school now for eight years. He's a graduate student. 
He's claiming about, that he's unhappy about the graduate student tuition being too high. How is it too high? His, his family has $20 million. I don't think he's going to have a problem affording school. His dad just made $8.4 million last year alone. His dad is a an executive vice president at the, the Union Railroad Company, I think. Some railroad company. So... He's from a $20 million family. And he's running around there acting like he's oppressed. Like he's suffering. Like he's a victim. Now, this doesn't mean if you're rich that if you get mistreated in some way that you have no right to complain about it. Of course you do. But nothing's happened to him personally. What he's claiming to protest isn't even necessarily true. And he definitely should not be the leader of the movement here. He can't even know what it's like to be underprivileged or oppressed when he's from a $20 million family. When he lives better than just about everybody in that school. When he, his family has far more money than the two guys that he got fired. He's not a, an appropriate leader for that movement. You want to have a protest about white privilege and all the benefits you get for being white and, and, and oppression and this and that. Your leader should be someone who has experienced it. Not someone who is from a family that is worth $20 million. Not from an eight-year student from a $20 million family. So they should have told this rich kid, if you don't want to eat, don't eat. And this, this apparently wasn't even a big secret. I think a newspaper covering these protests even mentioned that, that this guy was from a really rich family. But for some reason, the mainstream media didn't want to really cover that very much. But it was known around school. I'm sure the guys who resigned knew this. Can you imagine? A rich kid says he's not going to eat because he feels oppressed. And two high-level administrators resign? And then at the same time, you have a, a professor and another administrator denying the media the ability to cover a public protest that they're not allowed to take pictures and are, and are physically assaulted? Are you kidding me? And then we have another incident, I'm not going to go into this whole thing, but in Yale, where a husband and wife who work at the school as faculty put out a very respectable and well-reasoned statement that they didn't feel that schools should uh, lecture students on what they can and cannot wear on Halloween, that they should basically be able to make their own choices and live with them. That for that horrible statement, they are being pressured to resign and, and the school is being pressured to fire them. Why? Because these students are feeling like they're being oppressed because they're not being protected from offensive Halloween costumes. Oh, no. And listen to how one of these people was being treated by one of the protesters when he was just uh, trying to reason the with them. The exception is because other people have rights too, not just this Walk, walk away. 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 Walk
for all illnesses. Do you understand that? As your position as master, it is your job to create a place of comfort and home for the students that live in Tillman. You have not done that. By sending out that email, that goes against your position as master. Do you understand that? Then no, I stop. don't agree with that. Then, then why the fuck did you accept the position? Because Who I have the a fuck hired you? I have a different vision. You should step down. If that is what you think about being a master, you should step down. So that's how he's being treated there by a student. He's trying to very calmly explain, I have a different position on this matter than you do, but uh, I'm, I'm still qualified to to help lead here. Basically, these are two faculty members who live among students to kind of be like a, a leader and a mentor for them. And, and because they didn't agree with the Halloween costume thing and took a different viewpoint on it, it's not like they were telling people to wear offensive costumes. They're just saying, we don't think the university should be putting guidelines out of what people should and shouldn't wear. They're all adults. Everybody should decide on their own what they think is appropriate. That's, that's basically what they were saying, and that's, that's what this girl's freaking out about. It is not about creating an intellectual space. It is not. Do you understand that? It's about creating a home here. You are not doing that. You're supposed You're to be an advocate. You should be at this event, let's say, when you hear a Franco say that she didn't know how to create a safe space for her freshman instillment. How do you explain that? These freshmen come here, they think this is the way Yale is? Do you hear that? They're going to leave. They're going to transfer because you are a poor student of the community. You should not sleep at night. We're out. We're out. You are disgusting. I really hate these people. I really hate these people. Everybody's a victim. Everybody finds a way to get offended. They look for something to get offended about. Anyone who tries to reason with them in a respectful manner gets attacked anyway. And if you dare disagree with them, they try to get you fired. You are not allowed to disagree with social justice warriors. You're just not. If you disagree with them, there will be consequences for you. They will make sure you suffer for disagreeing with them. You'll lose your job. You'll be attacked. You'll be insulted. You'll be accused of racism, sexism, homophobia, whatever the cause is that they are protesting. If you dare disagree with them, you will pay. That's the mentality here. I've seen this for years. I saw this back when I was in college. This is not new. I saw this 25 years ago when I was in college. It is amazing how many of these so-called free speech advocates, it's amazing how many of these people who claim to be so tolerant and so liberal, when it comes to diversity of ideas, they don't want it. They want like a fascist state where everybody has to think the same way. And if you don't, you get punished. That's what they want. They want diversity in all other ways. They want diversity in racial makeup. They want diversity in sexual preferences. They want uh, diversity in the income levels of students there. But they don't want diversity of ideas. Ideas are not acceptable 
to social justice, war- social justice warriors unless you agree with them. Then your ideas are fine. If you disagree with them, watch out. You're not allowed to. I mean, I dealt with this myself. I, whenever I would express an opinion in college that was unpopular with this type of crowd, boy, did they get mad. Boy, did they go off on me. So I, I remember I had a conversation. This isn't about racism. This is actually about feminism. But I, I had a conversation with a, a feminist on campus who was really big into the whole feminism thing. And she was talking to me about the date rape problem that occurs at fraternity houses where where basically girls would go to fraternity parties, get really smashed and be really out of it. And then guys would rape them there. And I said, I agree, that's a problem. And she said that what they're doing here is they are trying to educate the men to understand that this is wrong, that if a girl is really, really, really drunk, you should not rape her. You should, you should make sure that uh, she understands what she's doing. That you should neither take advantage of her nor forcefully rape her and just figure she'll, she's too drunk to fight you or say anything about it or even remember. That They're trying to educate these guys that that's wrong and that's their goal is to teach men not to rape i i said really is that is that really what you're doing here is uh you think teaching rapists that rape is wrong is the right approach (laughs) i said look the guys doing this are scumbags the guys doing this are assholes you can't teach these things to them this will fall upon deaf ears If you want to see this prevented, you should be doing it on the other side. You should be telling the girls, when you're at these parties, don't get too drunk to where you don't know what's what's up and what's down. Make sure you keep your wits about you. Don't get so drunk that uh, you lose control of yourself or that you're not going to remember what happened the next day. Or if there's a persistent problem with this at these parties, don't go to these parties. I go, why don't you educate the women on campus about the dangers at these parties and how to protect themselves? So she paused for a second, and she got really mad at me. So you're telling me that because men are jerks who commit rape, that women have to just stay away, or they have to just drink less because otherwise men will rape them. I guess that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that there are bad people out there, and the way to avoid bad people from harming you is to take precautions. I said, I do that every day myself. I say, do I walk in a bad neighborhood with uh, thousands of dollars of cash hanging out of my pocket? No, because I know that's inviting bad things to happen. I should be able to do that. In theory, I should be able to walk down the street in the worst neighborhood ever and, and flash tens of thousands of dollars and not get mugged. But that's not reality. That's not smart to do. So instead of going on and on about how it should be my right to do that, I'm just smart and I don't do that. So at the same time, in the same way, women, if you want to really help women to not get raped at these parties, you should tell them how to behave to to, to where this won't occur. 
This isn't the same as, as saying don't dress provocatively and guys won't rape you. This is saying don't put yourself in a dangerous position where you're too drunk to do anything about it or even know what's happening. That will help women, not trying to talk to the rapists and tell them um, rape is bad, okay? Like you, don't, you, don't, you can't do that. You, you can't convince criminals that they're doing something wrong. They already know that and they're going to do it anyway. You're never going to convince every single man that rape is wrong and that they won't do it. They, you're always going to have a certain percentage of men who do this. So instead of trying to talk these guys, these criminals, into not doing it, talk to the women to not fall prey to them, to keep themselves safe. But boy, did I get a tongue lashing for that. And not in a good way. She could not understand. All she could hear from me was that I was telling her that women need to adjust because men are rapists and just too bad. That's, that's the way she heard it. No matter what I said, no matter what way I framed it, that was the way she heard it. And I, like, I was 18 years old having this conversation. I'm thinking, oh my God, these, these, like, how can these people be so stupid? <laughs> how can they defy logic like this? This is not a tough thing to get. But that's the problem. On, on these campuses, you you go against the popular victim mentality and they freak out. They, they don't want their viewpoints challenged. That's why they didn't want the media there because they were afraid the media could possibly paint them in a bad light. So they're going to have their safe space where the media can't get in. Which is, you just can't do that. You can't say this is a safe space. That's not something you're allowed to do. You don't have that right, morally or legally. Because that whole thing's a freaking mess. But the way to deal with all this is just not to give into it. As administrators at the college, you just don't give into it. And any professor or administrator who takes part in doing things like uh, forcing the media out when they don't have a right to, physically forcing them and saying, hey, can I have some muscle over here? Those people should be fired. They're an embarrassment to the school. Imagine a communications professor who doesn't understand that. She shouldn't be working there. She can, she can go research Lady Gaga on her own. I guess I was fascinated by that story because I've seen it for so long. You know what else I've seen? I've seen it where they don't even want freedom of the press at these schools, where if a conservative like alternative newspaper starts up, because usually there's the main school newspaper, and then some alternative newspapers show up, at, especially at larger campuses, which tend to be of some kind of special interest. Sometimes a super liberal alternative newspaper, sometimes a conservative one, whatever. But conservative student newspapers have met opposition for decades where basically students do everything they can to get them shut down just because they're conservative. They don't want that message getting out. It really has happened. 
numerous times. They find flimsy reasons to shut down those newspapers. For example, they claim that uh, they found a few of those newspapers strewn about the campus and they're creating a litter problem. And they'll shut them down based on that. Like just really nasty, sleazy, fascist censorship type crap that's being done to anyone who disagrees with them. I've seen it for decades, and I'm actually happy that some of this is getting the negative press it deserves. I think some of these protesters, some of these ideal, logical fascists need to be put in their place, need to face some consequences for their actions need to be shamed and made to look as stupid as they're being. I enjoyed how after that video of the media came out that the administrator and the professor were named and everybody knows who they are now. Their faces are everywhere, their names are everywhere, they're being reviled by many. I'm sure the last week has been horrible for Professor Melissa Click. And good, she deserves it. She deserves more than that. She deserves to be fired. But at least she's getting shamed on the internet. At least her actions were seen on video and her name is known now for what she was doing. She'll be remembered by that for a long time. Good. 775-FRAUD-55-775-372-8355. Final topic, and no, this doesn't look like it's going to be a six-hour show. Sorry. Final topic is the election. I decided to do some research this week on what Republicans need to do if they want to win. And I just did it for fun, not for any... I'm not working for any political party or anything like that. I just was curious... What chances do Republicans really have in 2016 to win? Because there's many people saying they have no chance. It's just the... It's going to be Hillary all day, all night. She's going to beat whoever wins the primary on the Republican side, so they shouldn't bother. I'm getting some people saying that. Caller, you're on the air. Hey, what's up, Rob? This is Spartan. Spartan, hello. Uh, Hey, what's up, man? Uh, first of all, I'm listening to you on that new phone thing you got, which is great, man. It's a big help for me. And the uh, uh, the last 20 minutes that you were just talking, mm-hmm. I mean, I got that tingle up and down my leg. And I just want to tell you, and it was good, though. I just want to tell you what happened to me, uh, what's today, Thursday? On Tuesday, I was talking to a dean of a public school, and he's a big liberal. We always argue when he comes to the restaurant. And, uh, and we were just talking, and then we were just trying to find things to agree on. Just to get back to that point, how, how liberals, the modern-day progressives, they just really have no common sense and no self-awareness. And and, and, and his school is, is mostly African-American and actually middle class. And, you know, where well, the father's, uh, let's say, a bus driver, the mother works for more vehicles, whatever. They're well into the six figures, you know, salary and so forth. And I said, what about the, at least the degree of affirmative action that this 40 million uh, working poor white people living on 30K 
being paying taxes, being proactively discriminated against, even though they're working hard and sacrificing. And he just looked at me and he said, well, they'll just have to get over it. You know, what is it with these liberals that they really don't, that they're really just so one-sided? Well, yeah, I, I don't, I've always been against affirmative action too. I, I, this is just a, a reverse racism where uh, people should never be judged on their qualifications for a position based upon their race. And it doesn't matter if they're being judged because they're black or because they're white or whatever race they are. The race part should be ignored when deciding upon college admissions or giving someone employment, they should be ignored. Then that should be the ideal that we are looking for to where everybody is seen as equal and that their skin color does not matter. And that if it does matter, then we're doing something wrong. And unfortunately, affirmative action is saying that skin color does matter and that certain people will have advantages unfairly for having a certain skin color over others, which is exactly what we're trying to get away from. Yeah, but even though I, 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 I might be considered on the form as an uber conservative, but I'm even saying that I wouldn't even mind affirmative action if it was based on like on a social economic scale. Like if somebody comes from a poor family, you know, I don't mind the system giving him a break, brother. Uh, you know, uh, whether he's white or black, you know, so we be social economically. But 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 my, my basic underlying issue is what is it with these, even with these white educated liberals? that they can actually look at 40 million poor white people paying taxes and being discriminated and not even care. Well, it's, it, it, care. Well, it's because yeah. that's, that's, that's the narrative, and you're just not supposed to – there's certain people that believe that you're not to feel bad for any white people that are struggling no matter what, and, and that uh, when they, they only want to feel bad for those who are poor and minorities and not just those who are poor and not a minority, and the truth is that – uh, if, if someone's struggling, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't matter what race they are. That then, again, the solution should be from an economic standpoint. And what can we do for these people who who don't have much, rather than what can we only do for this segment of poor people and the other segment of poor people? Tough luck on them. So, so yeah, that's and that's a big problem. And I've seen like I, that's another big issue with I have with affirmative action that a lot of times the people who benefit from it are those who are already coming, they're minorities from families that are already successful anyway. Yeah. So I, I, I live in the Bronx. Oh my God, brother. And let me tell you something. Most of my friends who are poor are white. <laughs> and, 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 and all my friends, I have more friends that are African-American and Latino than I do white, brother. And, 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 and most of my uh, African-American Latino friends, they're well into the middle class. And not only they have jobs upward of six figures, they also have government apartments, so that's all discretionary income. Yeah, well, it is unbelievable. Yeah, that's, so that's the normal here in the Bronx. You know, saying, I don't know about it. Yeah, I've said that for years. They have to get away from. I've said it for decades. They they need to get away from the affirmative action. It it really is just a continuance of racism, of just a different kind of racism, and that's exactly what we're trying to eliminate. And and what they think it's doing, it's not doing. It's it's, it's not even giving opportunities. To, no, it's not. to to a lot of poor people who otherwise could not have these opportunities, it's it's giving a lot of opportunities to those who are coming from families that already do well anyway, and just it, they got- happen. So that's uh, I'm very against that. I have been for a long time. So anyway, I'm going to. This is a great great show. I appreciate the phone line. It helps me out, and uh, and keep it up. This is a great segment. Thank All you. All right, man. thank you. So that's the Spartan, and see, we have a, a listener on the phone line. I, I'm telling you, people have praised the listen phone line 
the 712-775-8162 number. A lot of people like it because they don't necessarily have uh, a smartphone or a good enough internet connection, even if they do have a smartphone, to listen to this show live. And now you can. If you can dial a phone from wherever you are, you can listen. So, again, back to the Republicans and whether they have a chance. And I'm realistic about this. There are some Republicans that I've seen in the last two elections. That I'm talking about just not Republicans running for office, but just ones I know that were so delusional about the chances of McCain and Romney. And I, I knew McCain had no shot. Romney, I thought, had a chance, but then I got pessimistic about it towards the end, and for good reason, he didn't come that close. And I want to be realistic. And if the Republicans have no chance, I will admit it. I will admit it if it looks at any point, which it might, that Hillary's going to crush and easily win. And if that's the case, I'll say so. There's no point to live in denial about it because November 2016 will come and whoever will win will win. And that's it. So you can sit there for a year saying, oh, you know, Republicans are going to win. Hillary's going to lose, blah, blah, blah. And if if that doesn't happen, you saying it's going to happen does not help anyone. It's just living in a dream world if that's not the case. So I will concede now that still Hillary is the favorite to be president starting 2017. She is. But unlike the last two elections, I think that Republicans have a reasonable chance to win. And I decided to look into how they're going to be able to win, how they can approach it to win the election. Let me get to... uh, Where's the thread I wrote about this? I'm trying to look for the... Here we are. So this is a... There's a thread I wrote on poker fraud alert in the flying stupidity forum called analysis of vulnerable states in 2016 presidential election and it's basically stating which states are in play and which ones are not so I looked at what Romney won in 2012 and first I decided to check are any of those states likely to flip over to the other side, or is the Republican candidate of 2016 going to carry all of them? The answer is the Republican candidate is probably going to get every single one of these states again, with maybe the exception of one. The states which are definitely going to go Republican again are Alabama, Alaska, Arkansas, Idaho, Indiana, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Montana, Nebraska, North Dakota, Oklahoma, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Utah, West Virginia, and Wyoming. All of these had margins of 11 points or more, or actually 10 points or more, in the 2012 election. And I don't really see anything changing, especially because Romney lost. It's not even like he was a candidate who was wildly popular with the country in general. He lost the election. So even with losing, Republicans won by 10 or more points in all these states. There's Romney won, not Republicans, but Romney won by 10 or more points. There are three states which I think will probably stay Republican, but not as sure. 
That's Missouri, Arizona, and Georgia. They all were eight or nine points that Romney won. But I, I still think that those are going to stay. I don't see any of those three flipping. The only one that was close that Romney did win was North Carolina. He won that by two points. That could flip, but I think that if it does, it's kind of a moot point anyway. Because if you can't take North Carolina, I think you're not going to win the election. Like, you're not going to make that up. That's that's one that you should be winning anyway. And if you're not winning that anyway, you have greater problems than just that state. So that's the good news for Republicans is that there really is not a situation where they just barely won an important state and that they could easily lose it back next time. So that's the base from where they're starting. So now they have to pick up some additional states in order to win because if they pick up exactly what Romney got, they're going to lose again, obviously. So provided they get everything back that Romney got, which they probably will, whoever the candidate is, then you have the states that are solid Democrat that aren't going to go the other way. And that includes California, Connecticut, Delaware, Washington, D.C., Hawaii, Illinois, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, New York, Oregon, Rhode Island, Vermont, and Washington. These had a minimum of 12 points that went for Obama, and I don't see that changing for Hillary. Hillary's going to win all these. However, there are five states where Republicans could possibly win, but again, they're probably going to stay Democrat. That's Michigan, Minnesota, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and New Mexico. Pennsylvania was only five points, but I just I just don't see the trend going the right way. I don't think that uh, Republicans are going to be able to make up that five over there. It just seems like perpetually out of reach. And Michigan, Minnesota, Wisconsin, those are always touted as states Republicans can win, but they never seem to win them anymore. It just it, the media pushes them as swing states, but they're really not. New Mexico, at one time it was a swing state, but it was it was ten points last time around, so I, th- I think that's going to stay blue as well. But there are seven swing states that are definitely in play: Colorado, Florida, Iowa, Nevada, New Hampshire, Ohio, and Virginia. These were all fairly close last time. They were all between one and five points, that is percentage points, that uh, of the margin between Obama and Romney. And keep in mind, Obama was the incumbent, and uh, Romney lost the whole election. So even with that, they came within five points. The only one that was more than five in this list is Nevada, which was seven, which I still think is a, a state that Republicans can get, can get back. I just think that last election, it didn't go well there. So... Because not all states are equal with the number of electoral votes you get from carrying the state, of course, carrying the big ones is much more important than the small ones. So what, is, what do the Republicans need? Well, let's say they hold everything they got from Romney four years ago, which I think they will. Then what else do they need? Well, first of all, they need to take Ohio and Florida. Ohio is 18 Electoral votes, Florida is 29. They need both of these. If they lose either one of them, they're screwed, unless they pull off some weirdness by winning Pennsylvania or something. But if they, I don't see that happening, especially if they lose one of those two. If they, I think if they lose Ohio or Florida, they're not winning Pennsylvania. So they need to take Ohio and Florida. 
They also need to pick up 17 total more electoral votes from other states. And I think one place they should really focus is Virginia, which has 13 of those 17. They can pick up Virginia, they only need four more, and they can get these, they can get those out of New Hampshire, which has uh, more than that. They could get it out of Nevada, they could get it out of Iowa, get it out of Colorado. So, for example, if Republicans do exactly what Romney did, whoever, you know, whoever wins the nomination this year goes on to win Ohio and Florida and then also wins Virginia and New Hampshire and then gets the rest of them that Romney got, they've got it. It's over. The Hil- Hillary loses. Now, that's easier said than done. This is not going to be a piece of cake for Republicans to do this, but it's not impossible. These were all closed states. So I think the best one to do this is Marco Rubio because he will take Florida. Florida was a one percentage point victory for Obama. If Marco Rubio is the candidate, then Florida will go to the Republican side. I think he should take Kasich as the Vice President, he's from Ohio. I think this will help him take Ohio. That's not as guaranteed as uh, Florida if you get uh, Rubio on the ballot, but I think it'll help. And then go for Virginia. Then go hard on Virginia. Go really hard on Virginia and one of the other small states that's looking promising. And you've got it. Also, what Republicans need to do is let Hillary beat herself. And the way you do that is you don't put up a candidate with big problems or issues that can be exploited. That means no Trump, no Carson. You need someone that doesn't have a major thing that you can jump on and scare people over. You don't want a flawed candidate up there who has some kind of major gotcha. He doesn't have to be perfect. But what your hope is in the Republican Party is that you bring up a candidate who has the least amount of baggage and then you basically let Hillary beat herself. And I I think Rubio is the best one for that. Between that and his Florida connection, I think that's he's the best choice. Any of these other choices are not going to go. Anyone else wins, I'm pretty convinced it's over. I think people are going to be too afraid to elect Trump as president. They're not going to take him seriously. I know Trump has his supporters and I know some people love him, but there's too many others that hate him and are going to be scared to see Trump as president. People who don't like Hillary but will vote for Trump and actually make vote against Trump. I mean, will go actually to the polls to vote against him. People who will actually show up to vote just so Donald Trump does not become president. And they'll vote for Hillary and hold their nose while they're doing it. They're not going to like it, but they'll do it. And that's what I'm afraid of. You... You want people to only vote for Hillary if they really like Hillary. Not vote for her because they hate the Republican candidate so much. And I think if you put up a candidate who doesn't have a lot of issues, then it's a lot easier for people to vote for him instead of Hillary. You don't want to make Hillary the lesser of two evils. You want her to be the evil. You want people to not want to vote for her. You want her to beat herself. She does not have the charisma of Obama. 
she does not have the relatively unscathed past as Obama does. I know in 2012 he had to overcome some questions about his first four years, but he didn't have scandal following him. Hillary does. Obama didn't have a trust issue. Hillary does. So it's a different situation. She's a lot more of a vulnerable candidate. So you don't need a perfect Republican candidate. You can you can point out all the problems with Rubio. And and by the way, you know people are saying to me, why do you support Rubio? Because uh, you know, uh, he has some association with uh, with Sheldon Adelson and supporting the RAWA against uh, against online gambling. I, I think this is mostly nonsense. I think this is mostly just. Uh, you know, Sheldon Adelson wants something that you got to understand that that online poker is not something that's uh, important to these candidates. They don't. They just don't care. On both sides, no Republican or no Democrat candidates care of those running for president. None of them care about online poker. They just don't. If if Rubio was some kind of rabid anti-online poker activist, then there's no way I would support him. But. If he says or does something temporarily to pacify Sheldon Adelson, I'm, I'm not going to worry about it. And truthfully, whoever president is, I, I don't see any kind of immediate change right now regarding the status of legalized online poker. And I, I could easily see Rubio coming around to be okay with it. He's not, this is not someone who, who made this their issue. Honestly, I don't think he cares. I don't think any of them care. Adelson cares, but the rest of them, they just don't care. I see the chat's going crazy here with Josie. Josie's just going nuts in the chat. Josie's either like gone or she's like in the center of everything. It's like no in between with her. She thinks I deleted her pictures. I didn't delete anything, Josie. I I don't delete very much. On this forum, I really don't. I, I leave almost everything standing. Josie's saying in the chat, Druff, all these fucking idiots have logged off because none of them can read and you were talking politics. No, these, these idiots logged off because it's late. That's why. It's, it's almost 3 in the morning on the East Coast. And even on the West Coast, it's almost 12. So that's why. The population of the chat room and the audience of the show goes down as we get very late at night. And that's understandable. You're, you're not going to keep everyone when it gets this late. A lot of people have to work in the morning. So they catch the rest in the archives. So anyway, uh, I know some of you who listen support Trump. He's not going to win the general election. Even if you like him, he's not going to win the general election. He he scares too many people that just don't want to see him as president, that are freaked out at the thought of President Trump. And you're going to have a lot of those people show up at the polls to vote against him. He, he's going to lose. Ben Carson's going to lose really badly. He will never appeal to the general public. 
So you need to be realistic about who will win. You need to think who can actually win. What path can I see to where this candidate will win? And I can see that path for Rubio. I can't see it for any of the other ones. You can engage in a path, a path of wishful thinking where, where you enter an alternate reality where your candidate of choice will win, but not, that's not really what's going to happen. The 505 I'm getting, Trump is Michael Douglas from Dead Zone. I haven't seen Dead Zone, so I don't know that reference. I can guarantee you that Democrats are hoping that they will face either Trump or Carson. They don't want to face Rubio because they know he can win. That's not who they want to face. They want to face a candidate who has major flaws that they can exploit during the general election. That's what they want to face. They don't want to face Marco Rubio. He's going to be the toughest one to beat in a general election. If there were a way to, for Bernie Sanders to win the nomination, I'd be thrilled because I don't think he could win the general election either. I think he would get clobbered as well. He's J- Bernie Sanders is an admitted socialist, and that would kill him in a general election. I know he has his following. I know there's some people who love him, but he would not have enough of a general following to win the presidency. So I I would love to see him as the nominee. I know he won't be, but I'd love to see it because I would be rooting for the other side. And if you want your side to win, you want your side to face the worst competition. So for whatever reason, I'm not seeing the poll numbers really jump very much. They've, They've been kind of Stagnant. So, Rubio is still sitting well below Trump and Carson for whatever reason. He's got a long way to go, but if you look at these betting sites like Bovada, where you can bet on who's going to win the primary or who's going to win the presidency. Rubio is actually the one with the shortest odds to win. They think he's the favorite as far as Republicans go. Hillary's the favorite overall. But as far as Republicans, the one who's seen as most likely to win right now by sportsbooks is Rubio. So I know I'm onto something. 775 fraud 55 Five five. I think we're about done. Can't be seven hours every week, people. This show's looking about a little bit more than four. Feels longer though. Ah, bet you didn't expect that. Yep, an abrupt end to the show. Unless uh, somebody wants to make a river phone call. I think I saw a call coming in while I was ranting about politics, and I didn't take it. Oh, hold on. We have a call. Caller, you're on the air. I just have a real quick question. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, is Brittany 
it, or you confirm it. I just did a search in the chat, and you confirmed that you met this Brittany Quit, and it was a man, and it was taller than you. <laughs> yeah. Is that true? Well, yes, I, I met him at the World Series. He is a guy, and he is he's younger than me, and he's taller than me. And that's just, I, I can't give any other information out because I promised him I wouldn't say anything else. But uh, I did meet him, and he is very, very tall. So I'm six foot two, so it's not like I'm short. But he was very tall, yeah. and he uh, he's younger than me, and, and is a man. Yes. Okay, I just is he black? I can't answer that. Well, I don't understand why. I mean, uh, he, he told, I, he told me he doesn't want me giving any further detail about him other than those pieces of information. Okay, like, all right, so wait. Like, if you were a woman, would you or would you not nail him? That's all I'm going I don't know. I, I, why, you think you're going out with this guy? I don't I don't know. Like, see, I don't look at guys that way. I don't I don't look at dudes and go, oh, okay. if only I was a woman, I I'd get away with this guy. I know the like, I know... Tom's current baby's mom is overweight and not that cute. Like I can tell if a woman's pretty. I just want to know is he is he attractive or not? Nah, he just looks like a normal guy to me. Like I, you know, like if, if there's something about a guy that's really unattractive, yeah, I could see it and say, oh, I'm, I'm sure like no girls would want him. But like everybody else, they kind of just blend into me. Like most other guys just kind of blend in. I go, oh, it's just a guy. Like that's just how I see him. Like I, I don't know how attractive he is to women. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with him. I. Uh, Would you say he's better or worse looking than Tom? I, I don't know. This is, you know, this is something I don't really think about. It's 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 even hard for me to think like a woman in this fashion because when I've tried to do it, I do it wrong. I I sometimes have a hard time even like understanding which guy that the girl will find attractive and which not. Like I I can tell like the really really good looking guy is which you know that girls will like them, but the ones that are kind of in between, it's very hard to tell. Okay. Now, can you just confirm on air then that the pictures of me, that like, that's really what I look like because you, I've sent you, sent you like real time pictures. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I can, can, I can confirm that your pictures are real. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can, I can All give right. that uh, confirmation out there and, uh, and I've never met you, but I've, I've seen enough pictures of you on Facebook and I believe them to be legitimate pictures and I believe them to be current pictures. In fact, yeah, I know the current pictures because you've, you've had a kid and that's I've obviously sent you one. Yeah, I have, I had a kid and I sent you one with me holding your name. If you what? You remember that one? I remember that one I sent you. It, I said, Druff is God. And I thought you were too, I thought Druff and, uh, I thought you were two different people. Don't you remember when I first got on the show? Yeah, I yeah, sent you yeah. a picture of me? Yeah. Okay, so I am for real. That's what I look like. Yeah, yeah, I she's for real. I am pretty trailer trash. <laughs> okay, well, that's. I think that's fair. I think that's, uh, you know, it's like a compliment sandwich here. You're like... Uh, Actually, yeah, exactly. One, well, we need one more piece of the sandwich. It's a compliment sandwich is usually uh, two good things and one bad thing in between. You're, you're giving yourself – it's like a compliment open sandwich here. You've got uh, – I know, and I'm really fucking funny. Yeah, I guess that works. I guess that, that's the okay, – that, so Yeah, that's the So we've got – yeah, we've bread. got you being funny as the top bread, you being trailer trash uh-huh. in the, as the middle, and then the, uh-huh. the bottom bread is, is you being pretty. I guess that's what we're trying to get across here. I like you. I drop. You can take a bite of this shit anytime. Have a good night. Okay. Goodbye. Bye. That's Josie's return to the show, and uh, admitting she trailer trash. All right. 
her words, not mine. Anyway, thank you to everybody who listened, whether live or in the archives. Thank you for putting up with the uh, Charlie Brown thing at the beginning. And all the other tangents we had tonight, the Josie tangents in the middle. It's kind of a inconsistent show in uh, how we kind of jumped all over the place, but we did get past and through all the topics that I plan to talk about, and that's the important thing, that all the matters get covered, and it's all done in just a little bit more than four hours, which for me is a short show these days. So, when will we be on next? Will it be on Tuesday? Will it be on Wednesday, or will it be on Thursday? I don't know. I will give you an update of what we're going to do. I will even have a discussion with Brandon on whether he is really planning to return regularly, or if I should just forget the Thursday thing and select a different day. But we definitely get lesser ratings on Thursday. We will be on... Now, I can tell you for sure we won't be on Tuesday next week, because I have something to do on Tuesday. But uh, Wednesday or Thursday is possible. I'll let you know. Check the Twitter, at PokerFraudAlert, or at Todd Wittellis for information. You can also always check the forum, and there's usually like a little blue banner kind of near the top that says something about radio. You can listen to live streaming any time of random reruns. 712-775-8162. Also, you can use that number to listen to the show as it's live. I am Todd Dandruff with Tellus on Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friends show, though tonight it was just the Druff show. Saying goodnight, I will go drink yet another bottle of water and probably have to wake up about ten times to piss during the evening. Good night and shalom!